fasten your seatbelt. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It's the 30-something movie podcast. Uh, It is episode number 344, My Girl. I could start singing. I feel like every episode we like almost start singing. I say we. I'm sorry. I dragged you guys into that. I almost start singing, and then I spare all of you, and then the show just goes much better after that. And we appreciate all of your restraint. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, I should be constantly restrained. Um, so it is episode number 344, My Girl, this time around. And uh, this is a very special episode, it, like, like we said one of those other times. It's, it's like the 90s. It's like one of the 90s TV shows that was on when you came home and after school. A very special episode of Saved by the Bell or something like that. Uh, we have one of our Patreon co-executive producers with us. We've got Greta Benitez. Greta, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We are super, super excited to have you with us. Um, So Greta and I kind of know each other from work a little bit. Um, She's been working with our district to help us get some uh, additional help in our tech department when we've needed it. So, um, you know, she has been a lifesaver. And then we were we just happened to be kind of talking in between some phone interviews that we were doing the other day. And I don't even know how it got on the subject of podcasts, but I, I mentioned something about podcasts. And I said, yeah, I actually have a podcast. And then you were asking me, you, you said, oh, I, I, like I'm looking for a new podcast to listen to. And the next thing I know, you're listening to our podcast. So that was kind of cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it was because you you had asked um, at the end of the interviews if there was a movie that would best describe who you are, what movie would it be? And like for like four hours of these interviews, I kept thinking of like what my movie would be. So at the end, I was like, it's what about Bob? And you're like, what? I'm like, it's my movie. <laughs> and I think that's how we started talking about it. Well, it's funny because you you jumped in. Like, I don't, I'm don't i not even sure that you said anything else. I think when that last interview ended, all I heard was, it's what about Bob? Yeah. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, who? <laughs> I was like waiting so yeah. long to tell you. I was like, it's, it's my movie. Um, and by the way, Pat hates what about Bob? Oh, you're the guy who hates what about Bob. That's the guy. Okay, first of all, never in my life met anyone who hated what about Bob. You still haven't. Okay, John is kind of John is 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 like expounding on my my position a little bit. Pat doesn't hate what about Bob. Strongly dislikes. No, that's even that. That is a that is a. Before I got into education, I was in journalism. I know how to spin a headline to cause controversy and and to get readers. I know. I know. I know. Okay. Like I don't. Bait. Like bait. Let's hear him. 
Let's hear him dig his way out. <laughs> I'm not digging my way out. You guys are the ones that dig the hole and threw me in there. So I'm just going to hang out down in the hole. You handed him the shovel. <laughs> I did hand him the shovel. Oh, man. I, pointed I, at the ground. I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. I don't hit. What about Bob? This is, this is the, the you know. I'm being set up. I the the running gag on the podcast up. is that anytime we have someone who is a a Patreon supporter, and it, at some, some point, point in the past of the podcast, Pat has said <laughs> something about oh, I, this movie I really don't like, and then we bring on the Patreon supporter to an episode, <sighs> and we're like, hey, tell us like what is one of your favorite movies that we've done on the show so far, and they're like home alone and just the week before pat had got done saying you know what really bothers me about home alone and like really you know or uh what was the other one one of the other ones was uh blue velvet uh, which and, i can't i'm not gonna insult anymore because i oh, promised I him i wouldn't but i know blue velvet kind of rubbed me the wrong way and then the next patreon came in and messaged john on whatever tic-tac-toe social media thingies that are out there and he's just like hey can you guys go easy on blue velvet i'm like oh my god i'm sorry i didn't you know so no, I don't hate what about Bob? I swear I don't hate what about Bob. I haven't seen it in a while. And he doesn't hate I I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to stoke the fire a little bit here. He doesn't hate what about Bob, but he definitely hates my girl. <laughs> so you're like the Larry you're like the Larry David of the group. This is like curb your enthusiasm. Like this is who you are of this podcast. Larry David. I would I would own that one, Pat. I'd be like, sure. I'm Larry I, David. I, I I guess, man. I'm not gonna well, because it's just like like you said, it's like I'm sitting here with the shovel trying to dig my way up. Like, what's that commercial where the guys just like they say whatever and then it's like he takes the bite of the Twix or whatever to like get him out of out of trouble or whatever. That's what I feel like I'm right here. So I no, I I apologize for my colleagues. No, I don't hate what about Bob? All right. And the, funny thing, the funniest thing of that is, is that Pat is like one of the nicest people that you will ever meet. And, and yet we just we kind of pick on him. to the contrary. Yeah, we kind of pick on him because those few times that he does, you know, actually have a negative opinion about something. It tends to be something that, you know, we meet someone five minutes later who really loves that thing oh, he had a negative man. opinion about. Yeah. Then it was the time we watched the Pee Wee Herman movie. And I'm just like, yeah, guys, I'm just not crazy about Pee Wee Herman. And like everybody stopped talking to me on the podcast. I think, you know, it got it got a little rough, got a little rough. OK, no, I just had a hard time with you after you didn't understand never ending story. I didn't get that. But that's a different I didn't question the movie. I thought the Luck Dragon was awesome. Lots of great stuff. It's imagination, Pat. I mean, as a it's, as a music teacher, aren't you? You should like imagination I, should be i've i've got no imagination okay. I, I i i don't have an imagination okay. what about bob okay see and now we're stealing the show from greta she's coming on here she can't talk about like her move like you see what i'm saying and then it's an insult and now i'm on the back foot i've insulted our guest and you see this is terrible <laughs> oh I, i'm in sales i my my skin is very <laughs> thick it is almost impossible to offend me or okay. insult me don't worry <laughs> Well, these guys will try. So just don't let them. Okay. Don't let them. That's supposed to let our secrets out. Pat. <laughs> well, we're, we're barely 10 minutes into the episode here. Don't, uh, you know, don't share everything all at once. All right. All right. Just Let's save uh, something for later. Yeah. Just show half the hand. Just like half yeah. the hand. That's okay. All right. Well, let's go around the room and say our favorite Chicago baseball team and talk about which one's the best. Like, we'll go with that. <laughs> Wow, going for the throat right away. 
Yeah. Nice. Okay, I'll, st- I'll, st- I'll start Chicago Fire. Okay, who's next? <laughs> you already know what Bo and I are going to say, so. Yeah, all right, all right. So, I okay, so before do I got we, thrown under throw the bus. Greta under the bus and ask her what her favorite Chicago no, baseball team is? No, 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 no. no. Okay. no as, as the only other person that's gotten, like, set up and thrown in a hole in this podcast, I'm muting my microphone. Greta, please continue about <laughs> what about Bob and all that kind of stuff. I don't not hate. I don't hate the movie. Don't listen to these other guys. Well, well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought up uh, Chicago sports and what about Bob? Because Bill oh. Murray is a huge Cubs fan. So we could go down that avenue too for a while. And talk yes, about the he Cubs. is. But other than that, I love Bill Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Funny guy. Everybody has their faults, can't right, Dennis? Perfect, you know? Yeah, it can't be perfect. He's a real Chicago guy. Yeah. I wonder how much of Dennis's audio I can cut out in this episode. <laughs> this is soon he starts talking. After Pat tried to take yeah. an hour to explain his way out of What About Bob? Yeah, what About Bob? Right. And it, it, this is not even the What About Bob episode, so. I know, and it and it wasn't and it wasn't even like I opened my mouth and said anything. I had all my best friends here ready to like, you know, I'm sorry. Did my back catch your knife? Let me let me pull that out for you. <sighs> okay. Baby steps, Pat. Baby I'll steps. I'll do what I can. I'm single syllable words, five word sentences. All right. Well, before we before we jump into our movie, uh, so Greta is here as our guest host as one of our Patreon co-executive producers on this episode. Um, let me very, very quickly, before we get to know her a little bit better, let me jump in and just say we do spoil the movies we talk about. So this is your only warning right up front here. Um, we'll be talking My Girl. If you have not seen it yet, please make sure you go see it first if you want to. Um, if you don't care then stick around. Otherwise, go watch the movie. Come on back. We'll be here. Um, and then visit our website, 30podcast.com, where you can rate, leave a voicemail, become a co-executive producer on Patreon, uh, and find all of our past episodes there as well. So that's the little spiel over and done with now. So um, yeah, so Greta, why don't we start off with, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay. Well, I am... In my late 30s, I live downtown Chicago, currently snowed in, um, and we got like a foot and a half of snow last night, so that was interesting, shoveling my way out of the house today. Um, I have an 18-year-old daughter who is in her senior year of high school, remote, remote high school, um, obviously. And I'm married, and I love to travel, and I have two dogs. Um, what else? Oh, and I love watching movies. You're in good company. Yeah. What kind of dogs? I have a German, not a German Shepherd, an Australian Shepherd and a Golden Retriever. Excellent. So it was, it was pretty cute watching them like, try to bounce around in the snow today because it was just above their head and they would try to like dive into it. I'm like making hand motions like the podcast, like like people can see me. <laughs> we keep <It's> territory. <laughs> yeah, very much. Do the dogs like playing in the snow or is it sort of like a little bit and then back inside for warmth? Oh no, they love it. So cool. after about 30 minutes, like I'm frozen and I'm like trying to wrangle these wild animals back into my house. And um, I'm like, get in the house, get in the house. I'm like, come on, do you want some trees? And they're like, no, I don't want trees. I want the snow. So 
that's fun. They're, they're fun. We started, cool. uh, we started calling cause our, our dog, our, well, he's probably what, eight months old at this point, still a puppy. Um, but he's a beagle. So his, when he go outside, his nose is constantly on the ground. Um, I'm not sure he ever looks up for anything and, uh, he's doing the beagle thing, you know, following it. But now that we've got about a foot and a half of snow in the driveway and in the yard, um, he is, he's fallen in love with the snow and it just absolutely drives him insane. And while his nose is on the ground, he just keeps snorting the entire time. And he comes up with a bunch of snow on his nose. So we've gone to calling it street sugar. Which oh, I, I, I didn't look up in Urban Dictionary if there's already something called street sugar because there might be. Um, well, that's why, that's, yeah. yeah. That's why you have an eighth grader so right. he can do it for you and say, right. Dad. Like, uh, John, I can't look up on my work device um, if street sugar is already the name of something. So why don't you do it on your school Chromebook? Yes. Yes, that's a great idea. That's why oh, you have no. an eighth grader. They yes. can take the fall for you. Um, so yeah, so Toby is, he's, he's very much the same way. And he, I think he did a couple of flying leaps into the snow and just disappeared. We had to go look for him, but yeah. It's, it's fun watching them. Cause it's like pure joy. Like the dog is just experiencing pure joy and it fills your heart up and you're like, in my next life, I want to be a dog. I want to be a well-kept dog and just mm-hmm. play in the snow and have all this joy. <laughs> Yeah. So what did you, you mentioned being a, a movie fan. Um, and then our podcast up to this point has been kind of mostly eighties movies. And now we're into the nineties. Um, do you have a favorite eighties or nineties movie? Yes. So when my daughter got a little older and we were trying to figure out what we wanted to watch, like she was out of the, the Pixar phase out of like the, the cartoon phase. Um, but there weren't a whole lot of like in between movies for us to watch together. So I, I made her watch eighties and nineties movies with me. So we started with don't tell mom the babysitter's dead, which I think is probably my favorite nineties movie. Like Christina Applegate, like just amazing. Dishes are done. It's, it's perfect. Um, and then I think we watched, um, adventures in babysitting, another babysitting movie, Chicago movie. Um, fantastic and then a lot of bill murray a lot of bill murray movies <laughs> oh and john candy i think we probably watched every john candy movie ever um planes trains and automobiles every thanksgiving um what else oh and i think probably dutch is dutch. pretty high up there that's pretty dutch. high up there our favorite movies a lot of people don't know Dutch. Did you guys, did we talk about this with Dutch? Did you guys watch Dutch? I don't think I've seen it. No. Wow. It's ring a bell. Yes. This is with, uh, oh. what's his name? Ed, uh, um, Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill plays mm-hmm. the title character. He's Dutch and he has to move a kid. Uh, he has to get a, a, the adopt uh, the steps. I guess it's the step. Isn't he the step? Or he's not oh, even, like, he's just dating the mother, right? He's dating the mom, and yeah. the mom comes from like a wealthy family, yes. and the kids away at like prep school. Right, yeah. And Ed O'Neill is like, you know, like blue collar Chicago guy, yeah. and he has to go pick up this kid who's kind of a kind of a jerk. Um, but Ed O'Neill is so sarcastic, and the banter between like the kid and the, you know Ed picking him up is 
is superb. Um, it's, it's a good one. It's, it's a good one. Yeah. I, I, whenever that's on, I will watch that. Yeah. I don't need a like, yeah, it's good. It's, it's got cool. not planes, trains, you know, it's like in a cross country trying to get back home type of thing in time for the holidays, I believe. And, and that's, that's the whole thing. So it's a really good one. Definitely. That's, that's good. Not many people mention that movie or seen that movie. I think it's a sleeper sort of hit. It's hard to find. It is. Occasionally be on TV. It's hard to find, so. I'll catch it, but on cable, but. That was when, when you, you said that, I, that, that name sounded familiar. I was like, I feel like did because we didn't we didn't cover this on the podcast it was actually a movie from 91 so it would have been this year i think it just didn't make the cut for our for the episodes that we had for the year but um yeah that's i remember when it because it's john hughes um directed by the same guy that did crocodile dundee music by alan silvestri yeah wow although it did get a one and a half star review from roger ebert but well you know know anyway yeah Nice. Well, so Greta, what has been getting you through the pandemic so far? Sometimes we'll just, when we start off an episode here, we'll talk about, you know, if there's a TV show we've been watching lately, a book we've read, a food that we've tried that we've never had before. Is, is there anything in particular that's getting you through the pandemic so far? Um, sarcasm and red wine. Mm. Yes. I, I would say a lot of sarcasm, um, a lot of funny movies um and i i don't know where we would be without the internet during the pandemic like you had mentioned you went down a a youtube hole like just going down like random videos and like instagram and um twitter i mean it's been an interesting year anyway but I, i think the internet's really helped Yeah, it almost shows you uh, just how interconnected we are that, you know, as much as and I know that people talk about like feeling disconnected and whatnot, but it's sort of like I still feel like I've seen all these guys a whole bunch because of the podcast that we record every week or every couple of weeks. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm I get to meet new individuals like yourself through the you know, so I mean, there's just so many ways that we are so interconnected that uh, um that's that's an interesting point you make. At, at, yeah, I totally totally agree that the internet has really made this all. You know, I don't want to say very benign because my gosh, I mean, you know, there's a pandemic and there's people dying and all that so forth. But you know, I mean, it's uh, uh, no, I yeah, your point is well taken. That it's it's very um, yeah, the internet has been has been very beneficial for all that. Well, even just, you know, like what we're doing now with Zoom, I, I remember being a kid in the 90s, early 90s, thinking that a video phone would be the coolest thing in the world. And now we have it and people use it day in and day out. So I, I think that's kind of cool, too. At least we have that during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I feel like as a kid, there was a because a few years I was living in England and I feel like there was a, the London times already all, all kind of always had this section in the middle of the paper that was for kids. It was like a newspaper for kids that was in the middle of the 
maybe like the Saturday or Sunday paper. And it had all these different news stories. I remember one time the front page was on flying cars. And I thought, oh man, by the time I'm old enough to drive, we're going to have flying cars. This is going to be so cool. And I remember one of them was on video phones. Like Japan had invented video phones in the mid to late 80s or something and that they, they were really soon they were going to be coming to the UK and, and to America and I thought oh that's so cool video phones and then something else was like not just video phones we're going to have holograms it's going to be like the holograms in Star Wars and I just kept thinking this is crazy by the time I'm you know, an adult we'll have flying cars we'll be able to teleport places we'll have holograms we, we don't have any of that but we got Zoom <laughs> We do have holograms. We do. I don't think we can project ourselves. Yeah. Maybe next year. I'm still waiting for that part. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Maybe Elon Musk can create something really quickly, and then we can have that. If anybody, it would be him. Well, Pat had mentioned a little bit earlier that we did, uh, we just recently did a show where we kind of talked about our favorite songs of 1990 and 1991, um, you know, 30 years ago from the, the year that we're in now uh, is 91. So do you have a favorite song that was released in 1991? Yes. So my, my favorite band, all-time favorite band is the Black Rose. So I, I Googled like, okay, what albums came out? in 1991. Well, none of those albums came out in 91. They came out in 90 and then 92. So I had to, to go back. I'm like, okay, what was released in 91? And I've always loved the song Crazy by Steel. Mm. Very cool. Very it's nice. just like a, a wild, happy song. Like one of those songs where you can ride fast on the highway with your windows down it's summertime and that song comes on and just like kind of makes you fly a little bit cool yeah that was i think i mentioned on that episode that that was one of the the cds pat pat i think you mentioned either a cassette or a cd that like you if you could wear the grooves in on a cd like you would have worn out a particular cd and i think mine was probably that first seal album you know, we had, I think we really? were living, I think we were living in England. Yeah. Cause we moved to England in 90, it was either late 90 or early 91. Um, and I remember my dad bought that CD. Um, you know, one of the first times we went to the store, there was a whole music section at one of the stores and I, I forget what some of the other ones were, but, uh, seal was one of the first CDs he bought when we were over there. And we listened to that thing nonstop. And I actually, I still have it somewhere. It won't play like the middle three songs on the disc, but <laughs> I still got it. That's cool. It's like an old wives tale. You could put peanut butter on a CD and like wipe it off and it would work again. There was all sorts of different things. I was always told a highlighter. Oh, oh yeah. It was something about the laser reflecting off of the, off of the cuts. If you put a green highlighter over it, it would smooth all that out. Hmm. Did you try it? Oh yeah. It worked once or twice and then once or twice it didn't. So, you know, yeah. Weren't you just trying that in? Weren't you just trying that in the D one twenty eight tech office the other day with some kids' uh, project or something? I mean, I'd have to find a CD first. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> hey, the Smithsonian called. They want their tech back. <laughs> yeah, but that seal you mentioned, seal that he got. He got some uh, mentions when we went through that. You know, a lot of uh, people were bringing up uh, different tunes. Um, 
that he had done. And it was funny because there was a lot of, Oh my gosh. Yeah. We listened to that. And it was totally like, here's the situation. And that's when we listened to, you know, so that was, uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So. And what's so funny about the seal one is when we were getting ready for that episode, that was one of the ones that was on my list. So what I had done was on our Apple TV at home, I kept pulling up songs and while well, my, my daughter and my wife were sitting in the room, I'd, I'd pull up some songs and I'd be like, I'm going to put, um, I'm just going to put on some bunch of songs from 91. So you guys just do whatever you're going to do. I'll put them on. And the, um, the Apple TV has a nice thing where if you're playing them from Apple music, it will actually pop the lyrics up on the screen for you too. Nice. Which is an amazing thing for Seal songs because Seal, as an artist, refused to put liner notes in his CDs because mm-hmm. it was always his philosophy. He's like, hey, whatever you hear, that's what the lyrics are. And that used to drive me nuts because I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to know what the actual words are. But no, he would refuse to. So when you play it on Apple Music now, the lyrics pop up. And I, I today I was 40 years old when I looked at those lyrics and I was like, that's what he's saying. Oh, that's what he's saying. <laughs> huh. Did it change your view of the song? It did, some of it did a little bit, yeah. So he was right. Yeah, yeah. So some of it, yeah, some of it was like, huh. That's not what I thought he said. Oh, well, that works too. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. I just want to go on the record as just saying, uh, I'm going to sound like an old here, but uh, missing the liner notes. I'm just saying, like you mentioned liner notes, man. Wasn't that awesome? You used to open it up. You get a little photo essay and, and uh, you know, like you get, get a ton of information and all that kind of thing. I think I got to buy some like, Oh yeah. Right. And it's, uh, I think I gotta, I think, I think tonight I'm going to have to go on the Amazon and uh, find some like, you know, CD soundtracks or CDs, like actual physical media that you can open up peel back the plastic smell with this. You remember this, how that, Oh mm-hmm. man, that's it's good times. And liner notes. Do, awesome. Do you remember they used to sell the CD openers? They were like letter openers for CDs. Yeah. They slice the plastic just perfectly. Yes. <laughs> and you can pick it up on the way to the cash register. That's awesome. I remember that. All my uh, jewel cases have a big slice down the front of it because I would be too impatient and it'd just be like, all right, I've wanted this. And then there'd be like this, like plastic flash through it. You know what I'm saying? And I was never, I was never patient with that. Not, I don't know why, like all the CDs have it just because it was like, right. Gotta be calm. Nope. Can't wait. You know, just to tear and get into that thing. At least you were consistent. I'll give him that. He's consistent. So Greta, what is your favorite movie? And I know you, you've only known about our podcast for a little bit now, and we've got, we've almost got, what did I hear another podcast the other day that hit like 360 some episodes? And they were like, there's almost one for every day of the year. So we're almost there. I don't know if anybody ever wants to do that, but um, is there a movie so far? And I, I sent you a list of all the movies that we've covered on the podcast. Is there a movie so far that we've done on the show? So like between... Let's say it's going to be between 1984 and 1991. Um, is there one that is a favorite that is one we would have covered already? Okay. So I looked, I looked at this list and I forgot to write it down and I forgot. <laughs> Let me get back to you on that one. Yeah, yeah. Follow up with me later. Okay. Maybe just don't listen to Pat's comments on our um, uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead episode. Well, I have to now. Okay. Actually, some of those might have been my comments, too. 
Yeah, I was going to say that. Hold on a sec. You guys didn't like this movie? Um... Let's let's just say well because you mentioned the other one. Let's, uh, so now it's right now, now the shoes on the other hand. Now it's right, my turn now. to dig up. But see, Pat, mm-hmm. this is Pat. This is how you use a shovel. Okay, um, we liked Adventures and Babysitting better. Okay, I'll, yes, I'll give you that. Okay, see, Pat's that Pat. That's how you use a shovel and dig yourself out of a hole. Yeah, yeah, but you're still well. No, I'm not. Uh-huh. No, I'm not. No, right. We just there were there were things about the movie that we we felt. We wanted we wanted more. I think is what it was. John and Pat have sort of a theme: parents behaving badly angers them. Yeah, I get angry. Sometimes simple. I mean, I you Mm -hmm. know, okay. There's nothing wrong with this. I feel it's a recurring theme we've seen over the years, and yeah, you know, if anybody messes with a kid, I mean, Pat just wants to take (laughs) a samurai sword to him. Pretty much. That was, uh, okay, hang on. Spoiler I'll alert. I'll be the first to admit, I'm distilling that argument way down to well, its basis levels. Yeah. That might have been, you know what? It might have been. This was, this was the thing with the roof, right? The kid in the place with the roof. Yes. Yes. The kid falls off yeah. the roof and breaks it. Yeah. Okay. That might have, that might have set me off. Yeah. Sorry. Pat doesn't like it when children are put in danger. We'll put Nothing it wrong with it, Pat. Nothing at all. He's very protective. So, which makes me really interested to hear what you, the, the opinions are on tonight's movie. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. do have, I do have a couple of questions. There's one moment where something hit me last night when I watched it again that I had not really thought of. Uh Oh, now I'm curious to know what that's going to be. It's a silly one, but it's just one of those. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just biting my tongue because I've got this one pun that I've been using over and over this week. And I just, I can't wait to say it, but we, we got we to gotta get to later in the movie. Do you need an puns all spooled up and I ready got, to it, go. Mm, it's just, I've, I've been waiting so long and it, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, so Greta, thank you so much again for being here with us and uh, good to have you with us. And it, it sounds like, I mean, just based on everything you've just said, you enjoy watching movies, you enjoy 80s movies. Uh, you picked Seal as one of your favorite songs, and sarcasm and red wine are getting you through the pandemic. So basically, all we have to say is welcome home. <laughs> Good to be right. home. Yeah. <laughs> what? Amongst just out of people. Just out of curiosity, what what kind of red wine do, is it? Like yes, or like it's, what kind of red wine do you like? Do you have a particular or any? Or... So there is um, a wine shop, probably a half a block away from my house, and. I go and they say, hi, Greta, because they know my name now. <laughs> and they're like, what are you in the mood for? And I'm like, you know what? I'll go with the red. And they're like, okay, would you like this bottle? I'm like, this bottle looks great. Thank you. And then I buy it and then I come home and then I drink it while I make dinner. So I, I rely solely on uh, the opinions of the people at this wine shop. That know you by first name. See, you could have just said that. You know what? There's this wine shop and they know my first name. Okay. I understand. That's cool. That's awesome. The guy at the coffee shop knows my first name too. I, I do drink coffee. I drink other things. Nice. That should be that should be one of our spinoff episodes. All the places that you frequent that know your first name, right? Ooh. And I don't and know that I want to admit to all of that. That would have okay. to be anonymous. 
Got it. Okay, so how about this? All that's, the places that's gonna, that you that's fre- gonna make me look really nerdy. Let's not do that. Okay, all the places that you frequent that know your first name, just take the first three off the top. We'll just, you know, oh, okay. like it's like throwing out your lowest score, throwing out your lowest average. There you go. <laughs> What are your top three Whoa. cheers locations where you can walk in the door? There you go. And everybody shouts Norm. <laughs> That's yeah. Seriously though, Greta, thanks so much for being here and for, you know, checking out the podcast. And I mean, I, I say this every time, but it just kind of amazes me that like, you know, people support the show and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, it's, that's just very humbling and just thank you so much because this is just, just a lot of fun to get together and talk about movies and laugh and have some fun and, and uh, enjoy the good things. So anyways, many, many thanks. Oh, well, thank you for having me. Um, I've been listening to podcasts for a long time and I, John and I, we had talked about this uh, earlier in the week that you feel like the people that you listen to are your friends. And if you miss one of their episodes, you're like, Oh, I, I missed XYZ friend group today. And like you, you really connect with, with people, especially now during a pandemic. They become a part of your life. So I'm very excited to be here. Um, it's my first podcast. All right on. And now you can cool. boast all your friends who are like, I was on a podcast and you weren't. Oh, I'm sending it to everyone I know. There you go. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. I, I do have to ask because I'm curious about sarcasm. Um, and I, I was hearing the whole CD thing. So I was listening. I had to mute my first second because I was doing something in the kitchen. Did you explain where you got your sense of sarcasm from? I didn't hear. I, I knew we were talking about sarcasm or no. Did you, is it in here? Is, are you the only person in the family or is this a pass on trait from parent or for me, it was siblings and family and just pick up on it. You know, um, I think, I think you're born with it. I think it's an innate trait because um, I, I, one of my sisters is not sarcastic at all. Um, and I'm like, are you really related to me? Because you do not, you do not get this. It's like whew, over her head. Um, but I, I feel like sarcasm is the best form of humor because life is fun. Life is, beautiful but life can also be hard and life is hard in funny ways and I feel like sarcasm shines a light on the hard but in a positive light if that makes any sense yeah I really think a form of coping or dealing with certain situations that might be yeah I and, and, I'm, and I just because I think we as teachers have often sort of sometimes look at sarcasm as a lost art um, or like a lot of kids don't pick yeah. up on it in the classroom. So I'm just curious when you say, you know, like where that came from. And again, I know my parents, my, you know, especially my father and my brothers, you know, I, I would say I probably initially picked it up from them and then you just like, you know, I don't know. So it's interesting if it's an eight or if it's did, did mom or dad or have, you know, did you pick it up? Or did you have it from any, did, were they a sarcastic? You said your sister isn't. Was anybody else in your family was? Because I always feel like, I don't know, to get really good at it. I mean, I guess it is possible that somebody could be born sarcastic, but um, I feel like a lot of people just pick up in, a, in almost environmental because you just, 
you were the victim of sarcasm to a certain degree. When I say victim, you know, on one end of it. So then all of a sudden you realize it and it kind of goes back and you start to pick up. I, that's how it was for me, at least. It was kind of like I was the youngest of five. So oh, you learn, okay. learn to be fantastic. <laughs> Otherwise you're, yeah, yeah. So you've got a, a pretty thick skin. Yeah. Sarcasm, I feel like it's a communication style too. So like memes, for example, most memes are sarcastic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I could go like pretty deep into this and talk about how sarcasm doesn't translate to all languages and how different people in different cultures use sarcasm. And it's, I won't go into that because it's probably for a different podcast, but I view it as like a, a communication style. And my daughter is actually incredibly sarcastic. Like everything she says just oozes of sarcasm. So I have to tell her, I'm like, you know, honey, when you, when you're out in like the public, like sometimes people don't get those and you have to be careful <laughs> about what you say. Cause not everyone thinks it's funny. So I think she's starting to, to learn that. Like sometimes we just have to be like really normal. That's why I've had to explain that to my daughter a little bit, being 10 years old and just her, her sense of humor. There are several times I've had to say, okay, now I just want you to understand you and dad can joke this way, but when you go to school, you, you need to understand you may scare the other children. If you say these things and the teacher may send you to someone so you can talk for a little bit about your feelings. So let's just be careful about what we say when we go to school. And then daddy's going to get a phone call from that person. And well, yeah. (laughs) Many expensive doctor bills later that probably were not necessary, but. Yeah, that was, I I think with my family too, it was kind of like, you know, I was the oldest of three and if you could be born sarcastic, I think all three of us were born sarcastic. Bo knows my other siblings too. And, the sarcasm rung strong in my family. Because the force is strong with this one, without but, a doubt. But I will say, you know what? I think some of that is, I think some of that is maybe a little bit of, because we all, we grew up watching the same movies. Um, but I will say, I don't know that our, I don't know that our sarcastic sense of humor and our kind of like the dry wit that all three of us have, I think I, I would attach a lot of that to the three years we lived in England. Like, I think some of the stuff that we watched over there, like the British sense of humor. I mean, we, all three of us, I mean, that was, we were pretty formative years for all three of us. I was, I think it was from ages 10 to 12 while I was there. For my sister, it would have been, um, what would it have been? It would have been from like seven to nine. And my brother was a little guy. So, you know, that, that would have been pretty formative years. And I kind of feel like some of our sense of humor now really is, it's, it's very British, in some ways, which there's sure. a lot of sarcasm in British humor. Yeah. That then, makes sense. <laughs> like Waking Ned Divine. Did you ever see that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love it. And I'm not making that. That's an awesome movie. It's perfectly dry. Mm-hmm. Like you really have to pay attention to it to pick up the jokes. But like once you hear it, you're like, oh my God, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> We grew up with the magazines of uh, Mad Magazine, and um, there used to be a spin-off series of one of the writers from there. His name is Al Jaffe, mm-hmm. and the actual name of this, like, uh, there were paperback kind of books that you can get. It was um, Al Jaffe's 
snappy answers to stupid questions. So literally it was like one side of the page posed this interaction between two people. And then on the other side of it, it had like 10 smart, you know, just, just come back sarcastic over the top, like really bad answers that were there. And it was like, and we, and we just, I remember being a kid watching it, reading that before we went to bed. And it was like, I think it just sinks, sinks into your brain and you just start developing and thinking that way. Like, so when somebody asks one of those questions in your mind, you literally have the 10 bubbles of which sarcastic answer do I come back with? You know? So it's, it's interesting culture. And like you said, the movies that we watch, you know, that all plays a part. But, so, yeah, but I think you're right. There might be an innate quality to being receptive to it as well, where some people just mm-hmm. do that. Okay. Cool. And, and like I said, welcome. Definitely welcome. Yes. Well, thank you. Good. Looking forward to this. And Well, this one, you talk about sarcasm. This will be an interesting one to talk about because Veda is nothing if not sarcastic. Yeah. Like the, the perfect example. And in fact, I, I want to say, as we were watching this, one of my daughter's first comments was, I like her. I think we'd be friends. I think, yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get on into our movie. Our movie this time around is My Girl. Came out on the 27th of November, 1991, rated PG, with a runtime of one hour, 42 minutes. Directed by Howard Zeef, who died in 2009. Uh, He also directed The Dream Team and Private Benjamin. Producer on this one was Brian Grazer, who also produced A Beautiful Mind and Apollo 13. Writer was Loris Elowani, who did the Brady Bunch movie and The Amazing Panda Adventure. Cinematography was done by Paul Elliott, who also did No Country for Old Men and Captain Fantastic. Uh, another really good movie. If you got it, has anybody seen Captain Fantastic? Uh, yeah, that's the one I told you to see. <laughs> did you tell me to see it? I thought I found it I somewhere. I totally told you. Yeah, okay, all right. Because I said the song at the end. Yes, I think it's because of the song around the around the fight. fight yeah, so okay. I, I was right. like. I, Sleeper, be good movie. I saw it back yeah. when it was the year that they won the Academy. Because I don't know when you saw it. I was just saying you got to watch this movie. Mm-hmm. It's good. Yeah, I think it came up in a podcast actually. It might have. Yeah, I think it did. That's the one thing. You, one thing you said I listened to. That's the the one. Yeah. Music for this one was done by James Newton Howard, who also did Major League, King Ralph, and The Fugitive. Budget for this one is seventeen million. Box office was one hundred and twenty-one point five million. So it did all right. Uh, Flick Metrics, which combines Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd into one average score, gives it a 68%. And then Cinema Score, which is people who are actually surveyed as they're leaving the movie theater, this uh, they gave this one an A-, so a much higher score on Cinema Score. Starring Dan Aykroyd, who played Harry Sultanfuss, which is just a fun last name. Uh, he was also in Blues Brothers and Ghostbusters. Jamie Lee Curtis played Shelley DeVoto. She was in Halloween and True Lies. Macaulay Culkin played Thomas J. He was in Home Alone and The Good Son. Anna Clumsey played Veda Sultanfuss. She was in Gold Diggers and Veep. Uh, Richard Mazur played Phil Sultanfuss. He was in The Thing and Risky Business. Griffin Dunn played Mr. Bixler. He was in After Hours and An American Werewolf in London. Anne Nelson, who died in 1992, played Gramu Sultanfuss. She was in Airplane and the TV show Fame. Peter Michael Getz played Dr. Welty. He was in Jumpin' Jack Flash and Glory. And Jane Halloran played Nurse Randall. She was in Body Heat and Liana. Tomboy Veda Sultanfuss has good reason to be morbid. Her mother died giving birth to her, and her father, played by Dan Aykroyd, operates a funeral service out of their home. The other kids think she's a freak, and it certainly doesn't help that her best friend, Thomas J., is a boy. 
To make matters worse, Veda is desperately in love with her English teacher, Mr. Bixler. What is an 11-year-old girl to do? There he was, just a-walking down the street, singing... Veda! Dad? I'm embalming my high school teacher. Don't sing. That's my best friend, Veda Saltenfuss. Veda and Thomas! Most of the girls don't appreciate her. I always surround myself with people who I find intellectually stimulating. A lot of the guys are a little afraid of her. Okay, lean forward. But she's more fun to be around than anyone I know. This summer, though, things are changing for everyone. Have you ever kissed anyone? No. Her father just found someone. I'm going out with Shelly. I'm very nervous. Since the last time you dated, something happened. The sexual revolution. Good at kissing and dancing. I'm very optimistic. And a grandmother just lost her marbles. It's quarter to three. No wonder Vade is acting so funny. What we're going to do is send our vibes out into the group. Feel my aura. I don't think I'm allowed to. I'm going to marry Mr. Bixler. I can't marry a teacher, because then he'll give you all A's, and it won't be fair. Dad likes her better than me. Big girl! I'm running away. I'm going to Hollywood to live with the Brady Bunch. I want to live with them, too. No, you can't. They have enough kids. You'll have to live with the Partridge family. They say sometimes, when you get older, friends stop being friends. But not Veda and me. She'll always be my girl. From the producer of Parenthood, Columbia Pictures presents Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Macaulay Culkin, and introducing Anna Klumski. Veda, what do you think of me? For what? Oh, if you don't get to marry Mr. Bixler. I guess. My girl. All right, so one of the first questions we usually start with on the show is just one word or a very short phrase. How does this movie make you feel? Why don't we, guests first. So Greta, how does this movie make you feel? Um, so this, I feel like I have to unpack a lot. Like, heavy. It's okay. just a heavy movie. Yeah. Sprinkle with and in like cute moments, but it's a heavy movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Bo, what about you? Um, it's the roller coaster. Makes me feel like I'm on a roller coaster. It takes me through a lot of emotion, from happy to sad to happy again and sad again. Really, I'm listening to all the comments that you're making, and I'm gonna steal what what uh, uh, Greta and Bo said. It was uh, it it. There is a lot to unpack, and I was almost gonna say verbatim what Bo said. I was like. I, I didn't quite go to like happy, but it was like heartwarming. Oh, sad, heartwarming, sad, heart. Well, you know, it just kind of bounced back and forth. So maybe I'll just say melancholy, Ooh. but not, not, but not, that, that's not a, not a roast. It's, you know, check like out it. the big words on Pat. There you go. Hey man, I got my thesaurus sitting in front of me. Pleasantly somber. Mm. Okay. 
for everything you guys are saying, you know, I, when I think back to that movie, I, cause especially cause I know, you know, once you've seen it too, and you watch it again, you kind of know what's going to go on and, you know, and, and it's, it's got a little, you know, like you said, little ups and downs and little funny, cute parts, but then overall there is a, you know, uh, that it's a growing up movie. And, and a lot of times they have that sort of tone to it. We've all been through things and experienced things for the first time. And, um, that might be very serious, heavy things. And, you know, it brings back a lot of those feelings and it, it, it can, can kind of trigger some of that stuff and, and some of those moods and feelings that you have, you know, but yeah. So pleasantly somber. I will say for me, I'm going to go back to, instead of saying how this movie makes me feel today, I'm going to say how this movie made me feel the first time I saw it. And that was made me feel like an adult, even though I was, I was probably the same age as Veda when I saw this movie. And I know we saw it in the movie theater, um, I, I was probably 11 years old, yeah, 10, about to be 11 years old. And I just, I just remember the, for everything that you all have said, like there's some heavy stuff in this movie. There are some emotional things in this movie. And I remember feeling like this is one of the first movies where I ever really kind of recognized some of that, even though I was still a kid, you know, sometimes you watch movies as a kid and the, the, the more emotional heavy stuff just flies over your head and kids don't see that part of the movie. I remember this being one of the very first movies where I was like, wow, wait a minute. That, that just happened. And that's kind of like a permanent thing that just happened. And whoa. And it was funny. We, I don't think I've seen this movie since I was a kid. Um, and my wife, same thing. I, I don't think she had seen it for a very long time. And that was the first thing she said when I said, Hey, I, I got to watch this movie for the podcast. Haven't seen it in a really long time. Um, I think the kids might like it. And she's like, you gonna show this to the kids. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna show this to the kids. She's like, but you remember like that one scene and like what happens and like how devastating it is. And so it was funny that like she, her feeling about this movie and obviously I think the scene that everybody remembers in this movie was exactly the same and she would have been the same age I was when she saw this movie for the first time so it's it's funny to me that this movie has that kind of impact especially if you saw it I think when you were about the same age as the kid characters in this movie so kind of along those lines do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie do you remember did you see it in the theater did you see it on VHS later on or I saw it in a theater. Okay. So my, my mom and dad took my sisters and I to go see it. And I don't think they realized it was such a, I, I would say kind of disturbing movie at the end. I thought they just thought it was just about like two friends. Um, they probably weren't paying attention to it. They're like, Oh, it's a kid's movie. Let's take them. And I, I don't remember understanding why, Veda kept going to the doctor and freaking out all the time because that just wasn't in my, I didn't have the language or the idea for that type of anxiety. So I just remember, obviously, you know, the very devastating part at the, at the end. And I was like, oh, I can't walk this for a long time. And that was the last time I saw it. So I haven't seen this movie since I was eight, eight. Um, but it's funny. It, it kind of brings back those, that, that same, that same feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. That, that was the first thing I, I felt when we were watching this movie. I was like, I, I can vividly remember being in the theater 
and watching this movie and particular scenes. And I, it's just, it's one of those movies that I think because, because of the weight of, especially the end of the movie, the last third of the movie, almost, it's like there's so many memories. It's, it's it, the memories attached to this movie are very vivid. I think because that was such a strong emotion in that last third of the movie. What about the rest of you guys? Do you, do you guys remember seeing it in the theater? Do you remember renting it? This, this was a VHS rental for us. Um, okay. Again, my dad dictated, you know, kind of what a lot of the movies that we're going to go see at the theater, which tend to be more your action, your kind of, you know, your bigger, bigger, um, yeah, just more action oriented films or comedies, things like that. But this, my girl, that category was going to be a VHS rental and it always was. So we did see it relatively soon after it probably got released on VHS though. So. I saw it much uh, later. I don't know if it was the fact that it was my brother and I, so no one really wanted to see it when it first came out or what. I probably didn't see this movie until late middle school, early high school. Um, it might have been the type of thing that, you know, you're, you're hanging out with some people and the girls all wanted to watch my girl and the guys were like, yeah, whatever. Um, you know, I saw it much older in life. I can't really tell you when though. I just remember thinking, how did I miss this? And then, you know, there was always the big, uh, Oh, did the guys cry when they saw my girl? That was the big deal. At that point. The, the title, I mean, the title is not something that, you know, a lot of, honestly, a lot of guys or groups of friends. And that's why I said my dad, you know, you look at it, you're thinking it's sort of your, you know, formula, you know, boy, girl type of little, you know, I don't know. It, it just, it's not one that you're going to jump at like really quick if you're into, into other types of movies. So when you watch it, it's definitely a kind of a, wow, that's not what I thought that movie was going to be about. Wow. That is definitely true. And that's why you then say, why did I, how did I miss that? Because, well, you missed it because the title on the box and the picture probably typically nine times out of 10, you're going to be right on that. Um, and this is the 10th the time where you're not. Right. It was the bait and switch. Yeah. There's actually a funny story on IMDb about the title of this movie. It went through several edits. Um, and let me see, I have it here. Well, he's looking it up. Bait and switch to, I think, meatballs, you know? Like, I look at the cover of the meatballs, and it's like a lot of parents would probably be like, my kid's not going to see that movie. Like, I can't. Like, and then when you see it, it has so much more heart to it. It's not like Porky's, you know? But the cover looks totally like Bill Murray surrounded by girls in bikinis. And it's, I mean, while there is some elements to that to the thing, the overall thing has a lot of heart to it. So I think it's a similar, you know, Oh, cover, you can't judge a the book by its cover. So we'll yeah, all blame marketing. Yes. <laughs> well, they're trying to get what's ever going to work, probably, you know, and if you put on, <laughs> well, I don't know what the cover could be, but. And Bo, do you have that story pulled up? I do, but if you have okay. something, go ahead. I can read oh, it after I, that. I probably got nothing. Go ahead with that story. I'm, no. I'm kind of. The film's original title was Born Dondest, which the producers understandably elected to change. Do that. They offered a five hundred dollar incentive to whichever Imagine Entertainment employee who come up with the best alternative. And a lot of the film is set in a funeral parlor. A lot of the suggestions were along the lines of "Morning Glory," "In Lieu of Flowers," and "Early Departed." 
Other alternatives included Veda, the name of the lead character, which was rejected on the grounds that it sounded like a South African uprising. <laughs> Ultimately, it was the film's producer, Brian Grazer, who came up with My Girl and presumably pocketed the reward himself. Little does everyone know, he would just had headphones on and he was singing the Temptations song. Totally. And, they're like, and they're like, oh, hey, that's not a bad idea. Wait, what? You guys, what? Hold on. You guys talking to me? <laughs> it, it's uh, another comment in here about how it's um, one of a handful of movies from about the same time that all have titles. Oh, have to do with a song that was played at the end of the movie. It doesn't have all that much to do with the movie itself. Uh, Stand By Me, Stand and Deliver, Lean On Me, and Pretty Woman all sort of fit that same mold. Um, and they're named after this famous song that's played during the credits. has no direct correlation to the movie itself. Kind of an interesting... Well, it did, uh, you know, if you say, if it's titled My Girl, I mean, my question would be, from what perspective are we are we supposed to be seeing this this story, which exactly. I'm probably going to use about 600 words to say half of what Bo just said with like a phrase. So I apologize for this in advance. But I, I guess my question is like, from what perspective is the story being told? Are we checking this out? Like, is my girl like we're watching it from the dad's perspective? I don't necessarily think so. Are we watching it from the friends, uh, the Macaulay Culkin character's perspective well no because we're are we are we are we kind of is this kind of a third person thing are we just supposed to be outside of all of this you know like we don't get like a sandlot type voiceover right so it's not being narrated we're kind of like we're just kind of hovering outside and is the title just simply enough just to identify to the audience like you know this is your kind of girl and i think that's something that john you mentioned that your daughter said and i I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody here, but it's, and I don't want to sound creepy when I say this, but it's hard not to fall in love with that little girl. I mean, she is just such, you know, she's just, just such a, just such a beautiful old soul. That's what I'm looking for. She is just such an old soul, uh, that, that just is, has so much to her. Right. And she's going through all this you know, Greta, like you said, so much to unpack. So is that maybe where the title comes from is it's just telling the audience, like, this is going to be your kind of girl. You just sit back and watch the story of, you know, what she has to deal with. I don't know. Yeah. Cause otherwise if it was, if she could have been called my life. They would have had two years on the uh, Michael Keaton movie. So it could have, you know, they could have used that title if they wanted to. Cause you're right. I mean, she is the narrator. So it really is for the movie to be called My Girl is a little strange when she's the narrator. But well, again, was, marketing, you got to you got to fit in the temptation song in the credits. So what like was she that like, did she have any narration in it or was it like I feel like we were definitely the audience. I don't know that we were like in there where she was sitting on her shoulder, like talking to us. Well, she had at the beginning and the end, she had the voiceover. Okay. I've only seen it once, so I'm probably yeah. going to have like mixed, you know. I, just, I, I picture her as the narrator of the movie, probably just because okay. of that beginning and that end, you know, the voiceover piece of it. And, you okay. know, a lot of it, a lot of it we're seeing like the major, the major points of the movie are almost always seen. She's almost always there for those points. You know, she doesn't see Thomas J. 
die. We don't see that piece. Spoiler alert. Um, we don't see that part, but we do see the scene where she's told about it. So kind of some of those major beats in the movie, you know, she's the one that experiences it. So uh, it's other other than just being the protagonist of the movie, also kind of, I, I consider her at least to be kind of the narrator of the movie okay. too. But yeah. 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 It's, it's an interesting title and it lets you think, you know, so. Did you, Pat, did you say that? So the first time is this, this isn't the first time you've seen this one. Uh, the first time I saw this was 36 hours ago. Oh, you're kidding. I am not. Okay. I'm not. All right. Yeah. I watched it, uh, yesterday morning. Nice. Okay. So what did you think? Having watched this in 2021 for the very first time, what did you think of it? Cause the rest uh, of it, it sounds like most of the rest of us either watched it as kids or teenagers. You know, everything, everything you guys are saying, you know, like, I, I mean, it just all the feels and, and, uh, you know, it was a very, you know, it was just kind of a story about life. And I thought that nothing was too Hollywood about it. Like no one was over the top kind of characters. I mean, she was very believable. We've all known kids like that, you know, that I'd say precocious, but I don't want that to be a roast. I mean, just very old soul like, and uh, just, you know, as, as much as, and I don't know, maybe, you know, in the, in the 21st century, and I'm going to sound like, a get off my lawn type of teacher. So I apologize, but I mean, it's like in the 21st century, I think we want to just totally protect our kids from everything. Not to say that parents of the past didn't. Right. But I, that, that's not what I'm saying, but I think like we want to do that, you know? And I mean, you know, we're sitting here in the midst of a pandemic and so much effort is put into, Oh my gosh, we've, you know, good, bad, or indifferent not judging, but like so much of it is like, Oh, we got to get things back to normal for the kids and everything is for the kids. And we got to let, and I mean, I think, you know, we talk about John Hughes movies and what was John Hughes doing, but saying like, Hey, adults wake up. The kids aren't like kids aren't all right. There's stuff going on here. You know, that's what a lot of his movies were trying to say. The parents were out of touch. I mean, we work in schools. What's one of the big pushes social, emotional health, social, emotional well-being. That's all we heard for the first couple months of the pandemic. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I think it's great, but it's just like, yeah, try to get them involved in, you know, try, but just make sure they're okay. The social connection of school, you know, like all those pieces are so important. And I don't want to say that that was lacking back in the day, but I, I just don't know if that was necessarily, we didn't as a society look at it like that. And so I think, is this movie shocking or jarring? Well, no, not, not shocking, but it's definitely a, oh man, you know, you, you can't put your kids in a bubble and protect them from everything. They're going to see life and sometimes they're going to be forced to grow up too fast. And so I guess that's kind of the perspective. I didn't see it as a kid. So as an adult only, like, that's kind of what I see is like, Hey, you know, you can't hide your kids from the truth. And, you know, I mean, even like Dan Aykroyd's reactions to a lot of those things. And I wish they would have, I wish in a way, I almost wish there was like another half hour of the movie to really kind of get in depth with those. But like that one time she's like, Hey, you know, you know, she's not okay. You know, you got to take a look at, don't tell me how to raise my daughter. 
bam, done. That was it. And it was like, wow, I really wish that we could have had like a, a five minute, you know, argument about that or uh, no, she's not like it. Do you know what I'm saying? But, you know, and I, I don't, I don't want to say that, well, that's just how they raised kids. I mean, I, I don't think that's too simplistic, but that's kind of like where the dad was at. This is what she's got to deal with. This is the hand you're dealt. She'll be fine because she's got to be, you know, and that's, is that the right way? Well, not necessarily, but that was, do you know what I'm saying? And so that's what struck me with the movie is no one was completely over the top. It wasn't like a super dad moment or, um, when, uh, what's, um, the lady from Halloween, what's her name? She was in true lies. Mm -hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis. Curtis. Thank you. Okay. Like, and she didn't like come in and be like, no, I was da 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 da. And she was like super mom. Well, no, she was getting beat to all heck. And you know, she, she wasn't her buddy. I mean, you know, you're coming in, you're moving in on my dad. Bam. With the, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I think you saw some very real ish kind of things being played out. And so those are kind of my thoughts. That's a lot. I'm sorry. I talked too much. I'll mute my mic and take my comments off the air. But, uh, that was kind of my perspective is watching this for the first time a day and a half ago, like as an, as an adult, it's just, it's, um, kind of gives you, gives you pause and makes you think about like, what are we asking our kids or what are, are we trying to protect our kids too much? Should we be trying to protect our kids? And you've, you've got to, you've got to armor kids and you've got to prepare kids for, you know, sometimes life's going to throw some, some rough stuff your way. So I see what, I see what you're saying. Um, and when I, when I was watching this movie, I, I saw a lot of ill equipped people, um, people who just didn't have the wherewithal or like society, like the societal knowledge of trauma and grief and anxiety and manifesting um, all those things into physical ailments. And it, it really struck me when Veda kept going to the doctor and saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong and sick, but she couldn't articulate what it was that was making her sick. And this doctor, this, you know, older guy, 1972, he's like, you're fine. You're a kid. What do you have to worry about? Um, so I, I, I agree that we can't wrap our kids in bubble wrap and they have to be able to fail and learn from their mistakes and get, you know, like be, become adults. But I also am happy that we live in this time where maybe we can equip kids a little bit better than we were equipped mm-hmm. to, to deal with some of these things because then they don't have to grow up and then be like, oh, all of that was just terribly manifested anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I kind of like, it kind of pulled on my heartstrings a little bit watching not just Veda go through this, but her dad too. Like, here's this man, he, his wife passed away and he has to raise this little girl, run his business, put food on the table, take care of grandma, like, that's a lot for anybody at any in any decade. Um, and like watching him bury his head in the sand and going, okay, okay, okay. Because there was only really so much of him to go around. Yeah. Like how much can you ask of a parent in that type of a situation? 
Um, oh, yeah, and, you feel bad for the guy. He doesn't even realize his daughter's taking this writing class where she's gone a couple hours a day. Mm-hmm. He was probably just happy she had something to do. Like, okay, right. you go here, quit singing when I'm trying to work. Yeah. I have to make money. I have to put food on the table. You're safe. You're doing something. Go. Um, so it's, yeah, it was. It's did, a rough movie. Yeah, and at no point, like, going off of, of your comments, and, like, I think of in the schools, like, how much, you know, we're, we're trained or we're told, like, like I said, looking out for the kids' well-being. If they start to say things, if you notice trends, if you see things in their writing, if you notice they're a little off, I mean, we've got, there's all sorts of different screeners and things that kids go through just to see if, anything comes out in the, uh, you know, they answered this to this question. Let's, let's dig into that. Is everything okay at home? You know, like we're so asking that question and like at, at any point, I, like no one told, uh, uh, the, I keep forgetting her name, but the, the main character, no one told her like, you know, Hey, it's, it's okay to be upset or it's okay to be, you know what I'm saying? Like no one said that, Hey, this, this is normal. You're going, it's exactly like you said, it was just like, okay, just you'll get over it. But no one said, Hey, you know, you seem upset about this and that's okay. You know, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be confused. Well, and she kind of, you know, she had to deal with the ramifications of her mother's death, even though she frankly had never met her mother. You know, mm-hmm. just a few days old when their mother dies. So she's been, it, it's almost like the way she grew up, she's been grieving for someone she didn't really know her entire life. Um, that's why I think it's, you, you get to that really powerful scene later on when she's at Thomas J's funeral and she just, you know, she just kind of lets loose. She goes up to the casket and she just, she has that opportunity to openly and publicly grieve that she's probably spent all these years and they, they you don't, you don't really dig too much into that, you know, how does she feel about the memory of her mother and maybe feeling like, you know, I don't know if she feels to a certain degree that she was responsible for her mother's death or, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, she's she's kind of like indirectly, she's indirectly grieved her mother for her entire life because of the way that she was raised until mm-hmm. she finally gets the chance to just let it all pour out when her best friend dies. Well, didn't she even say at one point she asked her dad if she was responsible for killing her mom? Yeah. She did. Yeah. I mean, like, like I missed the next five to 10 minutes of the movie. Cause I was just thinking about the enormity of that statement. Yeah. Like from an 11 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Well, and I, I think, you know, John's, your point is, is, is well taken. The whole point of that she has been grieving this whole time and she can't put it into words and she can't process it. So it comes off in all these weird ways, like going to the doctor, you know, saying I'm sick, like there's something wrong with me. And and even though what she's, she doesn't know how to put words to what's really wrong with her is that these feelings that she's dealing with and the doctor doesn't either know, or is, is so kind of oblivious to it. He's like, no, you're perfectly fine. Like any other, you know, it's like, they're all kind of either tiptoeing around it or they're in denial or they're just not aware of, you know, the fact that she is going through all that. And the dad, you know, I think, 
any, you know, growing up back then, I think a lot of parents, a lot of my friends' parents, um, you know, the dad worked, the dad got stuff done, paid the bills. They weren't going to always stop and have some little chat with you all the time. Like it didn't always happen. Like, you know, we wish or would want it. Some, some of it's because they're processing it too. So I think there's a lot of people in this who are all aware, maybe sub, subconsciously that there's something wrong with her and dealing with so, some deeper issues, obviously, but it comes off as this quirky kind of kid and they all kind of play into it to a certain degree and allow it to continue. And it, it doesn't really get dealt with until the death of Thomas J. Yeah, and, I, and the person who's the person who's really the healer. And when I look at the movie then is in, in many ways to kind of breaks the mold for everybody is Jamie Lee Curtis's character because she's the first to give sympathy to her and talk to her in a real way, then allows the father to do that. And then it kind of crosses. And then there's that kind of almost moving on piece. Um, but that's almost what I feel like you, Curtis's character does kind of like a little bit of medicine. For a even in the creative writing class, she experienced yeah. that too. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, Greta, I think your original words were it's a bunch of ill-equipped adults. And I think that that's just, it's, it's the entire, you know, Dennis, like you said, the doctor doesn't even know. I mean, you would think nowadays, especially if this movie was remade today, you would really think that a doctor is trained just like Pat, you were saying how we are trained as teachers to look for those social emotional cues. You would hope that a doctor who also deals with children would be looking for cues like that too. Um, And so it's just, and, and I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a product of the time period, you know, being taking place in the seventies or. I don't even know if it's that, is it the writing? And that's what the writer has to do to make this movie work. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to put those people into, if you put them all too smart, it gets solved, you know, in act one. Um, you have to put those people. So this kind of builds and, and then you have to almost put it into, you know, all the choices to put the funeral home in the family in. you know, he's working on, on dead people all the time. Death is there. So it almost kind of gets us comfortable to a certain degree with death. And then all of a sudden the death hits home really, really quick and really fast and we're not ready for it. And it makes it more real than what we've almost kind of like, there's a little bit of a setup here. And I think that that befuddled sort of, you know, um, or just like, like you said, ill-equipped people in there, they all have to be there. They have to play their part for this to kind of work out to the conclusion that it does to a certain degree from a filmmaking standpoint is, is my take on that. Like, you know, the writer, I don't think accidentally wrote those people in to be, he intentionally wrote them in to be clueless that she's almost, or not, not maybe not even clueless, but just not willing to deal with or able to deal with what she's going through. And I think that has to be part of the setup. And I'm glad that you mentioned the writer because I did want to I did want to throw this out here and just kind of see what each of your reactions are. Um, and I'm not going to take credit for this. I found this on a website called the script the scriptlab.com. Um, and basically, what they did was they they kind of walked the writer of this walked through and said that basically this is a story of two opposites. This is a story of a little girl Veda um, who is going from life to death, and a story of her father. Um, I'm going to blank out on his name, Harry, uh, who is going from death to life. And so you kind of see their stories, you know, they're kind of like, it's, it's two completely different curves on a graph, uh, that one of them is going from life to death. The other one from death to life. Um, does that seem to fit with the beats you see in this movie and the way the story is told? Kinda. I mean, I think you can make a case for it. Um, that didn't particularly jump out at me because like maybe 
Not think she, about it, maybe. Just think she's forced to grow up. I don't know about her arc being from. I'm like, are you are you worried about like yeah. the life to death seems a little harsh if we think yeah. of it as like the death of her childhood. Okay. If you look at it that way, maybe that's what they mean. It could make more sense anyway. Um, I, I'm just gonna say I'm hoping that it's very literal. He lost his wife. Now he's getting a, a, a you know, a girlfriend. Right, death to life, and she, you know, had a best friend that died and like that he's just being literal because otherwise I'm going to just quote Aaron Brockovich. See, that pisses me off right there because like my first reaction is just like, okay, that's your daughter. There shouldn't be separate arcs. You bloody well live that arc with your daughter. I'm just, I'm just saying, but hopefully he's being literal and that it's just like, okay, well, you know, do you know what I'm saying? That I, maybe that's what the writer meant, but I mean, that just kind of reinforces that, like, you know, all those scenes when, like she ran off and it was just like, you just like, then she's running to the teacher and freaking out. And it's like, you just let her run off. Like what? Like she just needs to go blow off some steam. She's what? 12, 11. No, you gotta, you gotta chase her down and you gotta. So, I mean, that's just going to make me get angry at the characters. And again, not in a cartoonish way, but like Greta, like you said, they're just ill-equipped to handle or, you know, She's a latchkey kid, in a sense. So she was like the latchkey kid of the 70s and the 80s and highly unsupervised, and this was not a problem for anyone. This is a completely normal thing. So like when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's what somebody in 1972 would do. Mm-hmm. Not as an excuse of like, hey, that's some pretty poor parenting, but he wouldn't have the idea to do something different because mm-hmm. that was just like a social norm. Yeah. And that's, again, I wish there was another half hour of the movie where you could go beyond where Jamie Lee Curtis said, you know, she's suffering. Don't tell me how to raise my daughter. It was all about him. It was the, you know, father knows best kind of thing. And you're, you're, you're missing this. And that's what, you know, that's what you hope. Like, that's where you want, like, is he going to learn? Is he going to be open to someone telling him like, Hey, you got to check this out. Like, you know, this is how you should be there for her. And I mean, it's like, and I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sit, I'm sorry, go ahead. Did I cut across her? No, no, no. I was going to say, I think in the end, like that was part of the story too, is like, he started to realize like, Oh, maybe I should actually pay attention to my child. Right. I, and I'm, I think it's a. I don't know. I think that's. I think both. I think that. I don't know if that's. If you guys are coming from that same angle of like, I feel like he isn't necessarily. He he doesn't know how to deal with it. I mean, you're a single dad, and you're trying. In, in, in this case, you got this daughter, and you're trying to raise this daughter. And I'm just thinking, he he probably has these feelings that he might be dealing with the fact that yeah, like he's not saying she killed the wife, but at the same time the act of childbirth is there's a connection there which he's got a ton of stuff I'm sure going on in his head. So he, he doesn't want to deal with something. So it's when he says that I, you know, don't, don't tell me how to raise my daughter. That's a defensive. It's all defensive. I never see him as a, like, you know, doesn't care, disconnected. I, I see malicious him as about it. Just, just mm-hmm. literally doesn't know how to approach any of this. So ignorance is bliss type of thing at this point, go out and play, 
And I'm hoping you're just going to be a normal kid, even though deep down, I know that you're not, I just don't know how to fix this. So because I don't know how to fix this, I don't want to bring it up. And I think that's kind of where he's at. So I I don't think it's so much of a, (sighs) that's that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's very, I think it's very fitting because whether it's 1972, 1991 or 2021, I mean, like, I'm just, I'm a freely admit, like as a dad, like I'll probably get it wrong more often than I'll get it right. It's just that I hope that I'm, you know, open enough to either read the signs to my kids or listen to, you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, Oh, I totally agree. And I think that, that, that there's been, I think that would be one of the arguments over the, the decades. I think that parents, especially, you know, like in this father's roles have changed, you know, drastically over the years where back then it would, that's, I'm sorry, but it was probably the norm for all, so many of you know, my friends. It was, we had a lot of unsupervised outside playtime, go out and play. You just better be back at this time when we call you, you better listen. There was more discipline, but when we were on our own, we were on our own, you know, we wandered the neighborhoods. We, 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 you know, and sometimes you got in a little bit of trouble. Sometimes you didn't get any trouble because you knew your parent would kill you if they found out when they got home. So there was always that threat. So it wasn't like they didn't care, but there was just kind of like you got out there. So that was a norm. Definitely. You know, at that time period, and I was, I was, you know, I'm born in 71. So I was coming through that, you know, seventies and early eighties. Then you started seeing things kind of switch and change. But some of the things we did, people would probably be like, wow, like you got to do that then. And that's, that's unheard of. Like there's, it's just not the way parenting is nowadays. You know, it's not even the way I completely parented my kids. There is a gap better, but there's, there's moments like that, but to the extent where it was literally, you got up, Hey mom, you went out. It was like the little rascals. Like where are the little rascals' parents? You know, when you think of the little rascals movies back then, there's, there's, you know, there was. We don't know. You don't see those people. So I think there, there was a thing where kids were just, you know, would be out and playing and playing from sun up to sundown. You go home, your parents, and they put food on the table, and you know, and they would talk to you. But it wasn't, it wasn't the same. You know, I think there's a, definitely a, a different relationship with between parents and kids now. And some of that's good, some of that's bad, and you know, or at least different. So, but I think that's, I don't know, I just feel like that's my vibe of, of seeing him in the movie is the, da- the, you know, the dad doesn't, Harry doesn't know what to do. So it's better to not even, um, you know, deal with it like at this point because I don't have an answer. Mm-hmm because maybe he's got feelings of resentment towards her. Even we don't know that. I mean, it never comes out really in the movie, but you don't know that. Like, I don't know. I mean, just think of that. I mean, he's in love with his wife and, and all of a sudden he has a baby. I mean, even though he's not sitting there physically going, it's your fault that she died. There's a frustration. I'm sure that's probably there too, that, you know, doesn't necessarily get fully explored in there, but I don't know. He might not even know that that's the reason. Like, even know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, like you said, unpacking for us watching it. If you really dive into the characters, there's gotta be a lot of unpacking for the characters too, that that can't get done in an hour and a half or two hour movie. Mm-hmm. So. Greta, were you going to say something? Oh yeah. I was just going to say, um, I, I think by today's standards, no one should have survived past 1989. So I, I do think that, that maybe some parents like we need to like chill out a little bit um and let 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 the kids have a little bit more freedom um but yeah you just brought up so many memories 
sprays of like fireflies. I catch fireflies in the backyard and my parents not knowing where I was until the streetlights came on. Um, but that wasn't abnormal. Being in the station wagon with no seat belt, looking back, you know, the backward facing seats. We had those. Oh, we just got in the car and we, so we were, we were never buckled in. There was no seat buckle. What? Down south, we just jump in the back of the pickup truck and <laughs> right on down that road. And yep. one of the things that made me think of, if you're if you're looking at the movie that way, that there's an arc where she is moving, and if you're speaking of it metaphorically, from life to death, and he's moving from death to life. Um, the one thing that, that that kind of brings up for me that I think is is kind of an interesting take on it would be, as she is then dealt with the death of her best friend she now can maybe understand her dad's grief a little bit better. And unfortunately, and I, I remember only seeing it once and thinking it was not anywhere near as good as this one, but unfortunately my girl too, isn't dealing with that. It's a completely different story. And it's, I don't remember it being as good at all. Um, but that's something that like, once this movie is over, if there had only been one My Girl movie, that's what I would have probably predicted for these characters, is that she and her dad maybe have a stronger relationship because he has spent her entire life grieving the loss of someone, and she doesn't know why, and she doesn't know how to deal with it, and now she understands what grieving is, and she understands what a loss like that is because her best friend in the entire world is now gone and never coming back. And so, you know, from... From the end of the movie on, I would kind of picture that she has now, you know, her father has come back from death and is now experiencing life. She has gone from the innocent life of a child to now having experienced death. So that, Pat, to your point, you're like, well, they should be experiencing that together. You know, it's your it's your daughter. You should you know, walk with her through that. I almost think that, I mean, there, there is going to be a stretch of time where you're not. Like, there's going to be stretches of time where I am not going to be walking, you know, the same path, going through the same thing this, that my kids are going through. It's, it's just, you know, it's not always going to line up. But I do think that once you hit the end of this movie, they are probably very well aligned to the point where, and I, Pat, to your point, when you keep saying, oh, I wish there was like another half hour of this movie, I think that would be a nice thing to see. Um, in the movie is to see them make some type of a connection there to where, you know, he understands her a little bit better, she understands him a little bit better, and then, you know, everybody kind of goes off and, and roll credits and, and play My Girl. Yeah. But um, And yeah. my bump on that, my bump wasn't with the movie, it was with mm -hmm. that guy's comments, yeah. right? Like yeah. that, and it was like, okay, now what are you, what are you saying? Because that's changed, you know, but I, I get what you're saying is that that would have that extra half out, you know, although does that kind of wrap and tidy things up enough that we're like locked in that our conversation then won't be as wide sc scoping because they've locked you and it's like, OK, this is how the story ends. They've given us a half hour more. And now we're wedged in. Whereas if they if they keep it shorter and they open it up more, well, then we got to converse. Then we got to say, well, what about this situation? And what about this situation? And like when she rode off on the bikes, like ain't nothing felt resolved to me. You know, it was kind of like, right. they, yeah. wrote it, they wrote it that way. So 30 years later, people could podcast about it because it was just vague enough <laughs> right, for us to talk about it. Well, and, and I mean, it's just like, well, that's life though. Yeah. I mean, you know, like that's the whole thing of, you know, like it, you know, 
whether, whatever you're talking about, like mental health issues or therapy or whatever, it's, you know, the joke and analyze this, you know, right, right. You know, Billy Crystal sits with Robert De Niro for like five minutes and Robert De Niro, you, you fixed me. I'm good. And then it's just like, yeah, but that's not how it works. It's, you know, it's just trying to get you through to the next day. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And then like, that's the thing with this movie is it's, it's, you know, you're, you're almost left with like, okay, what happens when this comes up or what happens when this comes up or what happens well, 10 years from now, you know, well, my and thing is she's better prepared. I mean, I, I, I do remember. Okay. So 20, I'm about 20 years old when I see this. And one of the things I was, I, I kept, I remember, you know, trying to go back into this movie. And like you said, it does even stir up thoughts. And there were two things about this movie that are well, one at least, but, um, when I say two things, two incidents that are probably one of the most toughest, frustrating things for a person to do is to feel that you are the part of something that, or the cause of something, the guilt of something that caused harm to another person. So in the first case, obviously, even though, yes, it wasn't her that killed the mother at the same time, if she's not born, mom's still alive, his wife's still alive. All right. So there's some guilt that goes with that. And that's where you see all these weird things coming out. Like, and I think a lot of her behavior is because there's some subconscious dealing with that, that not dealing with it, struggling with it. And I looked at it in the movie and I go, Oh my God, they're going to do this to her again. Because to me, if she doesn't lose her mood ring, if she doesn't do the B thing, Thomas J is still alive. So she's going to be dealing with double guilt now. And how does that happen? And I guess the difference when I look back at, you know, cause I, I remember thinking that like, man, you, if it wasn't for you, he'd still be alive. You know, that's what you almost first say, saying to him, if you really want to go pro Thomas J here and say like, man, if you didn't do that and this kid was being nice and going back and sometimes, you know, your sarcasm, your sarcasm, some of the things seem a little mean to him. And this kid just had your back all the time. And now you could attack her like that unfairly to a degree, obviously, but it was kind of like this idea that there were two incidences that if she wasn't there and if she didn't do certain things, those two people would still be alive. She has to live with that sort of guilt or struggle with it. And I think the big difference between the two instances, when the first one happened, she didn't have a mom or a voice to help her cope with that. And she's obviously a baby and she doesn't process that. So she's struggling with this over time. The second time there is almost like Jamie Lee Curtis becomes the mom that she didn't have to deal with the earlier grief and the earlier incident to process that in a different way which to me, the bike riding off, you know, type of thing and find a new friend is more just a hopeful, hopeful thing of life is bittersweet. Bad things are going to happen. You can't beat yourself up over them. You need to grieve and you need to move on from things. And that still means bad things will still occasionally happen, but I felt like it's more hopeful. I don't feel like when, when I know it's vague, but at the same time, I didn't feel like it was a, you know, like, Oh my God, what's going to happen when this next incident happens to her? I feel like she's better prepared now and that she has a support and people talking to her and that silence is now broken where she was suffering in silence. And now she's had some open things with her dad. She's got the, the new, you know, the new stepmom, and that she's going to have that support as she goes through life, you know, and be able to process things differently. But I just felt like that's two heavy things to put on somebody in a right and writing a movie is in, in many ways. Some people can point to the fact that regardless, even though she didn't intend anything, her presence or her, her actions led to, to, you know, not, not by malice, but by just by the unfortunate twists of life sometimes caused two deaths or was played a part in two deaths. So I don't know. It's just, I remember thinking that at 20, like that was just like, wow, that's a lot to throw on a little kid. 
you know, if you feel guilty, if you, Catholic guilt, maybe, I don't know. Well, and I think, I mean, and it's all a matter of perspective, but I mean, it's like she didn't kill Thomas J. Right. I mean, it's almost like, it's like, it's like, I'm not, and I'm right. And I'm not, this is nothing like I am in no way. This is not like a refute of what you just said. Uh, uh, But I mean, it's, it's like, that's kind of the piece that where it's vague, like that will have to be a conversation, you know, sort of like, sort of like goodwill hunting. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. You know, it's like that. And that's where like, Hey, the, the, the bee allergy and the bees, that's what happened. Yeah. But if I hadn't, that's what, that's what caused this reaction. What I was just sort of saying to and kind of explaining was my thoughts as a 20 year old watching this movie, you know, which weren't fully either maybe resolved and maybe still aren't even resolved watching it now, but I'm saying that's, so when I was coming from that point of view, I remember that was kind of my thoughts of like, wow, that's like two heavy things. I initially went from the guilt factor of it. And again, not saying that she caught like intentionally caused them, but it's one of those, if she wasn't, you know, if she wasn't born, that woman's still alive. You know, if she didn't take down the beat, you know, do the whole thing with the beat thing and then drop her mood ring, you know, what happens when we have any sort of incident that happens with so many people like, I mean, nine 11, like what if I, you know, if I would have just done this or if I would have done that, or I happened to, they had to go back, you know, into the building because I forgot my code. You didn't kill them if they went back in the building and died, but you forgot your code. You know, and in your head, that's a torment for a lot of people. And this little kid's got two of those kind of things. It's to like deal the with. butterfly effect. Yeah. 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 And that's some, like you said, that's for, for kids. Adults have to deal with that too. And I mean, everyone deals with it in their own way, but that's kind of the thing. Like, Hey, there's, there's no rhyme or reason, you know, like, whatever the case may be, you know what I'm saying? Like you said, you, you referenced nine 11 or going back into the building or, Oh man, if I would have, you know, just remembered this or forgot this or, well, you know, how come the cancer came back and it's terminal this time? You know, I mean, it's like all those things. And the simple truth is like, you know, you can get angry. You can go all through the stages and all that, but the bottom line is, it's just, you know, I mean, everyone's going to have their own perspective that they got it, you know, and I could give mine and you could give yours and, and all that kind of thing. But that's what I'm saying is where it's the movie is almost to keep it on the movie and not about life philosophy. But I mean, that's where it's nice that the movie's vague is because now, you know, 30 years on five people sit down and say, okay, well, what happens when this comes up? How are you going to handle it? And I'm sure we'd all handle it in our own way and try and frame it out in our own way. Um, as you do in your own mind and, sometimes for other people, whether they're kids or adults or, you know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes you got to be that for a parent or sometimes you got to be that for a kid or a spouse or a friend and just be like, yeah, it's not your fault. Like that's. One, one of the things I think is interesting about this movie is whenever I've mentioned this, you know, cause I've had a couple other friends that I talk about, you know, yeah, yeah. We just recently watched my girl with the family or yeah, we're on the podcast. We're going to be talking about my girl and to a person, every single one of them, they're like, oh, the movie with the bee scene. Like, that is the one scene that everybody seems to remember. So I guess one of my questions for us, um, as we're kind of getting 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 into our kind of wrapping up portion of the show here, um, so that is probably the most memorable scene in the entire movie, at least it seems like it is for, for people I've talked to. And I, for me, myself and, and my wife, that was the scene when we think of my girl, we're like, Oh, 
that movie with that part. Um, so a, a couple of you having watched this as adults or just recently, and then the rest of us, you know, having seen this as younger kids and then seeing it again, um, you know, how much having seen this again, if you've, if you've seen this multiple times, um, and maybe it's been a few years since you've watched it, uh, how much does that scene sting this time? Different because you're, you're expecting it now. Um, you almost anticipate it like the first time you see the beehive fall part of you that's like oh my gosh does this happen now and then they leave and you go oh okay it's later he goes back that's right I remember now um, oh, well, there's little things along the way the comment about the, the small casket you mm-hmm. know that just are like setting you just yeah triggering you the fact you know? that he's allergic to everything everything I'm allergic yeah it's just uh oh <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, it's there was a serious foreshadowing. Oh yeah, and it's definitely different when you know it's coming. Mm-hmm. And we we've joked a few times about other movies that we kind of grew up with. I mean, we we joked. Well, we kind of joked. I mean, I was kind of serious too. We joked about Optimus Prime dying in the Transformers cartoon movie in 1986, and we've joked about a couple other times where you know some of our some of our favorite characters, you know, in movies died unexpectedly. And as kids, we were like, whoa, what? No, I've, I've watched the cartoon every weekday before school. Um, character, Those characters don't die. Like, that's not... Permanent things like that don't happen. And I very vividly remember watching this movie as a kid. And, and part of it might have been because... I would imagine that when we went to go see this movie that my dad probably picked it because of Dan Aykroyd being in it, but I probably was excited to go see it because the kid from home alone was in it. And then you're watching this movie and all of a sudden the kid from home alone, uh, he, he's dead. And I, as a kid, I remember as, as a 10 year old kid watching this movie, like that was my original comment that, that this movie made me feel grown up was like that was that was the scene one of the first times i remember in a movie just being like like just slamming on the brakes for a minute in my own little 10 year old brain and just being like wait what just happened a a child a child the same age as me just died are you kidding me like, I don't know if I said that out loud in the theater, but my little brain was thinking that at the time. So I don't know. That's And it's still stuck with me this many years later. And even that scene, just like you said, Bo, I, it had been years since I'd seen this movie. So the first time they knocked down the beehive, like I'm sitting there almost on the edge of my seat being like, okay, is this when it happens? This is when it happens, right? And it doesn't happen. And I'm like, oh, but wait, it's still got to happen. So what, what was that all about? And so then I'm spending like the next 15, 20 minutes just like... Okay, when does the B thing happen? Because I just remember that sitting in the theater and like being really, like that really affected me as a kid. And I think the same thing with my daughter too, because she's, you know, she's almost exactly the same age I was when I would have seen this in the theater. And she's sitting there watching it and she knows, you know, as soon as she sees the kid, she says, oh, that's the kid from, that's Kevin from uh, Home Alone. I said, yeah. You know, like under my breath and looking at my wife, I'm like, don't get too attached. Okay. Um, but it was the same thing. Like when he died, when you see like his glasses fall to the ground, she like turned and looked at me like, wait, what? What just happened? And I'm like, yeah. And just, you kind of just let it sink in a little bit. 
But why, why do you think? I mean, for me, I think it was because they were the same age. You know, those characters are the same age I was when I saw the movie. So that like made a huge difference well, to me. Well, so this brings me to this question then that I've thought about and I forgot about. But then when you talking about that, just reminded me was one of the questions I'd like to ask is as a writer, who's your target audience here? Who are you writing this movie for? Is this for adults or is this for kids? Because it sounds like yes. the people are getting the most bang for their buck out of this and the most like feeling of growing up and dealing with what you do. It feels like it works really well for kids. But you could also see the other flip side and say, well, for parents, you know, talking to your kids or whatever, those they can let you explore those themes. But who ultimately is this written for? Well, it might is be that, one of those. Is that, is that why you maybe don't have the, the very in-depth two-week follow-up that you guys want about the hard chips of life and death and stuff that, that there's that kind of simple. So it almost in a, at a, at a, it's like the, the rides at the, um, at the amusement park, you know, it scares you just enough. It wakes you up just enough without overwhelming you for something more that you're too young to handle still. So I don't know. I just, the thought of like, who do you, who, what age do you think this movie was written for? Like who's the target audience? I, my quick answer that I'm going to shut up and let everybody else talk is I think it's a, I think it's almost a perfect balance between the two. I think it's like those times where, you know, we, my, my daughter loves the Simpsons right now. I think there's times where you hit an episode of the Simpsons and she is just laughing out loud at nearly everything in the episode, but so am I for completely different reasons. And I feel like this movie is one of those instances where for a kid, you can watch this and you can hit all the beats that fit with a kid and, and make you as a kid feel like a grown up because, hey, I'm also 10 or 11 years old. Um, you know, wh what would I do if I was in a creative writing class with a bunch of adults? That's probably how I'd act, too. Or that's how I'd view things. And I think for a kid, you still hit all those same uh, you hit all those same points and it still works for you. But as an adult, you're going through the process of. A, a new relationship, kind of a love story in in the background there as well, and but also dealing with, you know, how he's raising his daughter and how that piece is changing for him. And so I I think this is one of those that is a it's it's a really great balance between the two. I think your audience is whoever, you know, as as the writer for this one did, I think they probably hit the sweet spot of getting it. So it's you know just right. You know, you, you've, you've got the line here that's just right for kids and you've got the line here that's just right for adults. And they're just they're hitting, you know, right in between those two lines. I agree with you. I mean, and, and I, agree, I agree that it works on both ends and it, it does end up equally balancing things out. But I just think from a writer's perspective. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was his intent was I want to hit this right in the middle and I want to get between the both. But I think putting, like you said, we felt like she's the narrator. We felt like, you know, it's so centers around her and her story. And she's kind of like taking a serious that it would make me think that it almost is geared towards the kid level that even the adults in here, you know, like a lot of times you see like movies about kids and the adults are just kind of goofy. And these kids aren't goofy caricatures of things. They're real people, but we don't necessarily dive into their stories as deep as we do into hers. So I feel like it's, I don't know. I would, my gut is, I feel like if anything, it might be a 60, 40, you know, written more for kids type of thing to a certain degree to really deal with some deep issues, but at a level that's not too much, not too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. 
I could see that. Looking yeah. at now, again, I don't know. I'm just that's what I'm. That's kind of when I think back to way the style and the written. I don't know. It's, but I would think that as you sit down and you write this and you're writing this movie, you usually have a certain target audience with the hope that more people can enjoy it and that the hope that both adults and kids. I think that's like Toy Story and a lot of those different movies hit both ends of it. Um, and even the symptoms, Simpsons, like you said, you know, they have like, but it's. I just wonder which one the writer himself is actually, I'd be curious to ask him. That would be a question I'd love to ask him. Like, who were you really writing this for? Was it equal? Cause that's how it works. It plays out that way really well. So great. But was there one, what was your real, what was your message with this movie? Who were you trying to really reach out to? Was it the younger people or was it the older people overall? If you had to pick one of the two as a writer, that's what I would ask him. If you had to pick one of the two. Who do you want to walk away with the message from this film? Younger people or older people? Parents. All right. Well, I have one last question for us before we jump into our three questions, uh, before we wrap up. Is there, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great moments in this movie. There's a lot of, you know, really heavy moments, like we've said. Um, do you have really quickly, do you have a favorite scene in the movie? If you had to narrow it down to one, do you have a favorite scene in the movie? I like the part where she charges the neighborhood kids to look at the coffin and she's so sarcastic and witty that she takes him to see her grandma <laughs> and like her having the ability to see the humor in this. That was my favorite part. Is that where she told him like, sometimes they're not fully dead and they wander yeah. around. Look, there she yeah. is in the rocking. Is that, <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that is also mine. Yep. <laughs> And then that comes so early in the movie that just kind of, that almost establishes the tone for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. What about some others? What other favorite scenes the, have you got? The bingo scene has always cracked me up. Mm-hmm. You know? Which one? The bingo scene when she's sitting outside and she just goes, bingo. <laughs> and that whole lead up to that is just really, I mean, they set the bingo scene up. You feel like you're at this bingo hall and and then she just bingo <laughs> and then they run and and, i've always liked that one and i've heard from some of my older relatives that you know you, you kind of laugh at the fact that there's a, a fist fight that breaks out at the bingo hall i've heard from some of my older relatives you don't mess around at the bingo hall <laughs> like yelling bingo like that is like yelling fire in a crowded movie theater you just don't you don't do it like there's some cutthroat bingo stuff going on there. Yeah, I, I would think you'd want to know the uh, the lay of the land there before you start throwing that stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but, all fairness, the girl in the movie kind of knew the lay of the land. She played that thing perfectly. So, I mean, I'm not I'm not faulting her at all. That was that was well played. Pat, have you got a favorite scene? In the, only having seen it a day and a half ago, do you have a favorite scene from it? I, you know, I'll, I'll listen to a few more of yours. I'll keep thinking my thoughts. I spoke a lot. Of, you know, I, I talked a lot, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go into like, you know, reconnaissance mode here and just kind of hear what you know some some more of you, all your thoughts about favorite scenes and stuff. I like everything you guys have been mentioning. What about you, Dennis? Did you have one? Well, the ones you kind of mentioned already first, those come to mind. I think I was, because I was looking up the one the old, with the old ice cream in the class, that one. Mm-hmm. 
poetry thing. I like that scene. I liked a lot of the, some of the characters that were really good. Just the hippie couple was it's good. <laughs> just we did. If we were going to make a random list, uh, we said because uh, we'd watch that one right around Christmas time too. My daughter and I decided if we we're going to make a random list of movies where. Um, you you have an awkward recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. We're going to do this one and Christmas Vacation. <laughs> like right after right after she right after they kiss each other, Thomas J and Veda. She's like, it's too quiet. Say something. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United <laughs> States of America. That's pretty good. And the two of the, the two of them together are so cute because they just I mean they it's it's the. You know, they are really and truly best friends. You know, they'll antagonize each other. They will pick on each other. But at the same time, they've got each other's backs. Um, and they really and truly do, you know, they really truly do love each other this, the way that, you know, two two kids that are best friends do. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the way they confirm each other's sentences. He's allergic to everything. I'm allergic to everything. Yeah. <sighs> was the was the hippy-dippy guy from the the poetry thing was that merlin was that uh from top gun was that uh uh the toughest screw that ever walked a day at uh, shawshank what's his name um tim robbins was that tim robbins or was that some other guy that like just made me think of tim robbins i don't think it was tim i think robbins. it was some other guy that made you think of tim robbins but i can see why he might have made you think of tim robbins. was that a good connection or am i just kind of like not making any sense his uh, the actor's name was tom villard Okay, does Tom Villard look like Tim Robbins at all, or am I just completely off on that? Uh, his IMDb picture has him in heavy makeup, so I'm in heavy <laughs> alien makeup, so I'm not sure. All right, okay. All right, maybe I dozed during that part of the movie. What can I say? Did anyone else cringe at some of the doctor scenes where he's just, like, has the little girl in the room and, like, okay, and, like, checking her all out and everything like that? I'm just saying, like, I'll, fr I'll freely admit that that's, like, a... 21st century deal and, and all that kind of thing. But I mean, I'm just kind of like, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. There, and I don't want to say like, and nothing in the movie made it malicious and I'm not, but it's just like now, you know, like the teacher giving hugs and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like living in what I do now. It's firmly in the hover hand, the Keanu Reeves hover hand type thing. And, and so there were just some of those scenes, even the interactions with the doctor where, Oh, you you know, it was, you know, Oh, you're fine. And it like, there was no phone call home. Like, Hey, your daughter came to see me again. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like that. And maybe they were trying to paint that as like the small town where you kind of have the run of the town and everyone knows each other. And that's, that's cool. But, uh, yeah, as I say, I think that's, that's, and that's also part of that. You have to write them in like that because otherwise, you know, the doctor calls them up and says something's wrong with your kid. And they have that conversation on the first page of the script. Where do you go from there? <laughs> but I don't think, but it didn't feel false. Did it? No, I mean, that no, doesn't no, no. contrive. It works because we've seen those type of movies. And I think it, you throw that kid who's just kind of all around, everybody knows her and she kind of gets away with a lot of different stuff because she's the center of everybody's attention, but he seems to know her. She's that girl. But you know, at the same time, you know, there's this underlying issue that's not being dealt with and yeah but i think it, it works because it is there is a, there's a big setup i think there's a big setup to the movie overall 
And that's why I think I was looking at that poetry scene where it's like the old ice cream, but then it comes back later. And she's got the poem at the end and, you know, and it's, it, I, there's just, they, they set a lot of things up and there is like a lot of, like you said, a lot of foreshadowing. So it's, it's, I think it's pretty, pretty well done script. But there's always that buy-in. It's like you have to allow some things to be, you know, excused. Otherwise, if you make sense of them, then the rest of the movie might not work all the time. And this would be one of those cases, I think, where it has some scenes like that. People's behavior. You know, the only story, part of the story that I didn't think was really necessary was her being in love with her English teacher. Like, I guess it doesn't really pay have, off. No, except for that I, one scene, and yeah, like yeah. I guess they had to like give her a reason to take the the poetry class, but I also don't think like that end scene where she like professes her love to him at this like, really like devastating moment made a whole lot of sense for me, and I just feel like it was just like a weird filler that didn't really need to be there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. Go, go ahead. Was somebody else, John? Okay, I would say I. I don't. You know, I don't know. I mean, I think there's. I think it looks when you look at a kid who's in turmoil like that, who's struggling. They're going to look for some sort of ideal, something ideal in the world that's perfect and sweet, and 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 you know, and this this guy and this the teacher is that is that it's she's shooting for that. Like there's some sort of something that that she's looking for and, and then to show that that does that that's not realistic and that doesn't happen and you're not going to be with your teacher and 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 that whole dream life of kind of like the prince type of thing you know is going to save her from all the pain that she's in the doc the sorry the um the teacher kind of i think embodied that so i think it sh- sort of was like her escape of like there's this perfect world where i'm not going to feel the pain or the struggle or the guilt or all these things that she's feeling so that relationship is going to be the perfect thing and it's going to take everything away and then there's the the quick realization again in life that that's that, that's not happening and that's not going to happen and then she has to boom deal with that as well and it almost hits like I think it hits right after the, so it's like bam bam so she's just getting hit from every end not only did her friend die now that ideal dream and escape that she had is not going to work too so I see it as kind of fitting in that and, and there are kids who, who do do that I mean we've had, as teachers you've had kids who sometimes just will not leave your room it doesn't have any, even have to be a male female thing or anything inappropriate there's just that kid that like everything else you know in his life or her life is going wrong and they will stick with you in that classroom because right now they feel good right now they feel you know that life is worth it or that there's somebody who cares or somebody listens and they're in that you're kind of escape sometimes that temporary escape from a lot of their problems. So, and if you all of a sudden kick that kid out and that's why we don't kick that kid out is because I think we sense that as teachers that if I sit there and you're trying to find the nice way to be like, all right, time to go home now, but you don't want it to make it sound like you're kicking them out. Like I don't want you to be here. So you have to kind of tiptoe it lightly. And I think kids, young kids have those relationships. And one of the, the most common people they have that relationship with is a teacher. So I don't feel it's as out of place. In my That's an opinion. interesting perspective. I would. I didn't think of that. You know, that's who they can sometimes confide with. Who's that person that they? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I hear what everyone's saying. I I will say when that scene when she finally did break, it 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 did seem like in the movie they kind of threw everything in the kitchen sink out there. Like, it, do you know what I'm saying? Like that 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 part of the movie in my mind seemed a little 
spastic. It and and I I think like you said, what they were trying to do was, you know, just showing that like her world was just coming apart, and you know, and, and but like I said, it just that's the one part that seemed. It's just for my mind just seemed a little over the top. It was like, okay, now she's going over here and freaking out. Now she's going over here and freaking out. Now and that that just seemed that that I don't know if out of place is the right way to describe it, but I've got nothing better to describe it. But that that part it did it did kind of take me out of it a little bit. Right? Like I feel like I was living in the story up to that point, and then at that point it was like I felt like an audience member going, okay, I see what you're going for here. And then once they kind of got past that and then started to pick up at the funeral and further on, then it, then I was back, back in the story, but that, that middle section. Yeah. There was a lot of like the way they wrote her with the coming apart thing. It was a little, took me out of it a little bit. And that's why maybe I come back to that. I think it's written more for kids. Because us as adults, we will analyze that and we could definitely come apart, come and pick this all apart because you like this is too much or that shouldn't have done this or shouldn't. Have, and I totally agree with you because I can I think those same thoughts. If I throw myself into a kid's world and there's that sense of everything going wrong, we've no, I've known kids who like that I've grown up with, who've gone through those things where it was like when it rains, it pours and their whole world does come and everything seems like it's just going wrong for them. And they're just devastated. And how do you process? And I don't want to deal with it. It's like, uh, you know, they don't want to even almost have to deal with it but life is like saying you need to deal with this now whichever way you know like whichever way you can you're gonna have to deal with this because it's hitting you right in the face and for uh for for a kid who who might be sensing that when one thing happens it kind of just snowballs there's those kids who have have those meltdowns at school you know those kids who have those meltdowns at home and and i think it that's why i feel like it almost is more from a kid perspective and for kids to a certain degree who might be who who will be able to associate with that maybe a little bit more than an adult analyzing the film would. So that's why I feel like it, while we can enjoy it, we also have some issues where we can analyze it, which is good and it's right. And it's not saying anybody's right or wrong. I'm saying that's why I think I come back to that. Who the heck was this written for? I'd love to ask the writer that, like who would you specifically? Well, and I guess my problem with the scene is, and well, problem. I, I mean, the thing is like, not that that existed. I mean, we've talked about, we've seen that in, in adult movies, right? Like the whole Joker movie is made off that or the, the what, what's the movie where Michael Douglas goes nuts? You know, falling down. Down. falling down is based on that. My thing was, it's like that scene almost became like it was like a montage where you had 30 seconds of her freaking out over here and then 30 seconds of her freaking out over there. And it was just like, wait, what? Oh, wait. I, ooh, er, mm. And I think like, <clears throat> give me the extra half hour in the movie. Give me like five minutes of like a yelling, like, like, let's take that. Let's work that thing down. Right. Then let's go over here, have her freak out on different days in different places. But it was, but it was like, it was, it was a montage. I mean, it was almost like, it was almost like a Rocky movie where he's training on the beach and now he's going over here. She was like freaking out over here. And then she was suddenly over here and it was it all happened so fast. And but that half hour. And I think that dealing with one and putting this fire out first is not how a kid always responds. It's how an adult should and how we eventually should learn to deal with process. But a kid doesn't deal with that. A kid will, you know, and then, and, and I feel like there's just that literally a spinning world going around. That's Everything true. But the kid can't there. teleport, you know, the kid, oh, the can't, kid can't zip. I'm here freaking out. Okay. Zip. I'm over here. That's I'm, I'm calling out like that. Like You're calling I, out the real time scheme of the movie. again. Yes. It's a, it's a really small town, Pat. 
Yeah. I see. I it's get a really it. Small I get town, it. Really town. Really small street. Small I get town. It. So what you're saying is that the luck dragon <laughs> carried her to the other. I get it. As long as you say the, comes as, back as, to the luck dragon. Right. As long as you say the princess's it. name by the end of the movie, it'll all be okay. I get it. So yeah. her mother's name was Martha. Yes. Is what you're saying. I get it. Yes. Okay. And when, when she said Martha, they stopped fighting and it was all okay. <laughs> So I'm, I'm just saying, I think that right. we're looking for an adult, the adult edit, the adult director's cut for this that has the extra half hour that. Ad- right. See what you're, what, what you're saying. All our adult criticism and questions, but they're taking it from more of the frame point of the mind of a child, which is going to see things as everything hitting her at once, that there is no 10 minutes to calm down and get ready for the next thing. It's literally everything's hitting me all at once. I'm fixated on this. This goes wrong. That goes wrong. And, and my world's crumbling and I don't know what to do. And I don't have a mom and I killed my mom and, and I just killed my best friend. And it's like, in what my world's falling apart. Wow. I can't really listen to what you're saying. I'm not going to stop and breathe for 10 seconds. I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's not until, you know, I think Jamie Lee Curtis's character shows her some true sympathy and acknowledges what really has happened where throughout the movie, a lot of people are almost avoiding what has happened in her life and what's going on. And this is the first time somebody's willing to, I don't That's just my, I don't know. Again, I'm just speaking out here and just throwing stuff out. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, before we jump into our three questions, I I did want to ask uh, Greta. So this is the one when, when you came on and, and became one of our, Patreon supporters, uh, I sent you a list of our movies that were kind of coming up for this year, and this is the one you picked. So, why did you ultimately end up picking this movie? Um, well, I, I picked it because I I distinctly remember watching this as a, a preteen, and it, it obviously stuck with with me for for reasons then, and, and now it's going to stick with me for adult reasons um going forward um it just it reminded me of being a kid yeah yeah i same here i you know having not seen it since i was a kid it just i have such memories attached to yeah that was like that was a crazy movie to watch as a kid yeah yeah no absolutely all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and jump on into our three questions segment? He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, three questions. First question. Question number one, which character in this movie do you most identify with? Wow. (laughs) Uh, I think I would have to say... Like there's shades of all of them that I, I could identify with. Um, Veda being a little kid and having just issues that she doesn't know how to to articulate and have anyone to articulate to. I think everybody can kind of relate to that feeling. Um, 
and then her dad, like I was a single mom for a really long time. So I had to be all of these things and that's really hard. Um, and like, even just, you know, watching Jamie Lee Curtis's character too, like trying to look on the bright side, like trying to just do something different. And, um, you know, even the grandma slowly losing my mind. Like, I, I feel like there's a, a character for everybody to relate to. Patrick, what about you? I like, I like Greta's answer. I'm going to just, I think, I think she won the podcast with that one. Like, that's totally it. I was going to say Danny Aykroyd's character because that's kind of the closest that I can relate to at this point in my life, you know, being a parent that is trying to figure it out. And many times there is no right or wrong answer. It just is the answer that gets you to the next stage that then you got to work through. And it's, it's tough. Cause yeah, like, you know, the responsibility falls to you to make the right call. So you got to stick to your guns and not be all wishy-washy and okay, I'm going to, this is how I'm running the house and bam. But then you got to be open to, well, you're probably going to get it wrong, but then you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like it's um, yeah. So I guess, you know, my gut reaction would have been Dan Aykroyd, but I, like I said, Greta, I think said it all. Like there's something in all these characters because they're all, none of them are cartoons right? None of them are caricatures. None of them, like they're all very believable. And the humor is real life humor. The actions are real life actions. And again, I think like the, does the movie hold up? I mean, yeah, there's things that we sit there and say, well, maybe that was the perspective back in 1972, but we still see those things, whatever they might be today. And our reaction would be, dude, why are you doing that? This isn't 1972. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I think, you know, there's enough in that movie. It's all very, it's all, it, it, it has like a, a timeless quality, you know, whether it's dealing with death, whether it's just dealing with life or whether it's teaching kids just how to deal or adults learning how to deal, you know? I agree. She, a good answer is that, you know, you can see everybody in exactly what Pat said, that they're real people, real characters, and they're not like, oh, you know, the caricature part where you could identify and, and since they are real, we all experience things that they all go through. I would put the two as, uh, as Harry and then also as the teacher. So those two would be probably the closest I could identify with one. Number one, having kids similar to, you know, in that situation where he knows, and you know, early on, if anything, I almost feel like he's one of the characters that early on, even when she reads her poem and he like is willing to kind of, you know, he talks about, well, it rhymes and that's all nice, but where's your soul? Like he, he asks more of her, but at the same time he treads water carefully because he knows he, he deep down, he, he has a feeling that she does kind of idealize him. Um, and, and to that part. And then, you know, along with what Greta said, you know, having been, you know, obviously two parents for a number of years up until our kids are older, uh, you know, navigating the teen years with a daughter is, is, yeah, it's like Pat also said, you know, you're not going to get it right. And how do you do it? And as a dad, it's like, you don't have necessarily that, that female presence in the, in the home all the time to, to deal with those issues. And like, how do I do this? I got to go to the store and get what, and, you know, and, and is she comfortable talking to me about things? And you don't know if she, so it, it was all, you know, that was, so I, so I would definitely identify like having that single, um, parent type of, you know, feeling later on in life here with my kids and my daughter when she was older and my son. Um, so those two, Harry and the teacher would be the two that I would say the closest. All right, Bo, what about you? 
Um, I think if I if I had one, it would probably be Harry. Um, I tend Harry was very with the flow, just sort of let things happen. We talked about how he didn't know where Vader was half the time, but that's because she wasn't in his hair. He was okay with it. Um, I tend to be the, the go with the flow guy uh, more often than not. So I think. Uh, if anything, I probably identified with, with Harry. I think I would have chosen, if you'd asked me this as a kid, I would have chosen Veda. Because I think I kind of felt like as a kid, I also had a little bit of a quirky, sarcastic sense of humor. Um, as an adult, I think I might identify a little bit more with Jamie Lee Curtis's character in this movie. Just because I'm, you know, for her, I, I can't identify with Harry because... I, I don't know, his personality and mine just don't match up. But I feel like trying to be trying to be the optimistic one, trying to be the one that's always trying to bring out the best in people and that kind of stuff. Like, I feel like that's the piece that would, you know, not that I don't read trashy romance novels, but I feel like a lot of the rest of it, um, you know, that, that would be kind of my personality would fit best with Shelley's character. And that, and that's a great point. And I was thinking that as well too. That's why it's a really tough question because personality wise, I don't see myself as Harry, it's his situation that he's in that I identify with. Yeah. It's the teacher that I kind of can come close to more identifying with. But I was almost, after I just finished, I was like, oh, I was going to bring up Jamie Lee's first, which was great because it's so true. Like, like I do, like there's certain, she, she, she addresses the elephant in the room. She deals with the grief at the end. She like does try, she doesn't try to avoid it like everybody else. She will eventually, the reason she, if anything, avoids it earlier is because she feels like I'm new to this situation. And someone else should be dealing with this. But then eventually she finally steps in and says, someone's needs, someone kind of needs to be the, the healer, if you want to call it, or try to fix things a little bit. And I, and I definitely would say personality-wise, again, aside from the trashy romance novels, um, I, I would throw her in there as well, definitely. So if I went by strictly more personality of what I identify with, Jamie Lee Curtis's character, if I go by roles that people are playing, then I would go with the other two. Yeah. So, and I mean, she was in a, she's in a hard situation. I mean, like... How would you feel if I came walking into your house, Dennis, and tried to tell you this, that, or the other thing, you know what I'm saying? And, or any of you, you know, or like she didn't even know it's Harry, right? Was that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, She didn't even know Harry that well. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I mean, it's, it's almost like awkward, even to joke about, but like, you know, that would be like, Greta, let me, let me tell you about how things should be like, do you know what I'm saying? Like that's difficult. But then when you see something it's going on where it's just like, I, I do feel the need to step in and you kind of, and again, I felt it very real. You know, you want to reach in, but then it's just like, Oh, okay. You're pushing Not back. My place. Not my place. Okay. Too I mean, soon, Dennis, too I think too early. Yep. And, and I, we've like had, almost, but. I was just going to say, we've had conversations like that. I mean, like, and there's times that like I've been talking and, and I see you kind of nodding and okay, man, like I'm going to tell you something, but you know, in the same token, like I'll say, yeah. Dennis, do you want my opinion on this or should I just listen? I, like, and yeah. it's, you know, cause that's difficult to do, you know? I almost feel like she's a little bit in a very big stretch way here probably, but um, I feel like she's a more realistic Mary Poppins. <laughs> she even makes that comment about coming into like the, how, why, why did she take this job? Well, cause there was a family and whatever. And the, you know, working here, like there was a, a place where she could work and there was also a family there. And I, I thought it'd be kind of, I think she said something like, I thought it'd be a good place to go or a good place to forget what her exact words are, but kind of like, I kind of like, I feel like I need to be here. So she kind of comes yeah. in and then she, in the background, not to a very big foreground cause the movie's not about her, but in the end she is kind of that, you know, like when, 
what's his when they when they they finally get the kids with sixpence song and all that and she's like yeah. your father it's like kind of plants to see there's a very big stretch <laughs> i'm saying there's a certain element of that yeah a very realistic toned down version of a mary poppins that she's in there to a much lesser degree than mary poppins i just thought of i just thought of a favorite scene like well these people were dead but at one point they wore makeup and the people that i get makeup on are gonna die someday so there's a relation and then the first yeah. one she walks in he's like what did you do well i you know i gave her some makeup i brought up the thing i did the this and her hair and that's a, well she is a school mom yeah i know but that's not i mean i was like oh my gosh that's nobody, hilarious nobody wears their hair like this in 1972 she did <laughs> <laughs> and what was her response to that it was i was i thought it i just i just thought that that was very yeah i thought yeah. that that was fun all right. Well, I don't mean to get too morbid with question number two, but question number two, is there a particular song you would want to have played at your funeral? John, for our top 10 lists, is it top 10 songs for the prelude, top 10 for the recessional, top 10 for the, like, how do you want us to break these down? Um, just if you can stick to the top 70 songs that you might you want, want to choose for your funeral, that would be helpful. Do you want my, do you want my funeral service? Like I can, I've got it planned out here. I can forward it to, you know. Is this going to be like one of those medieval week-long funerals? <laughs> oh, man. At least for Pat. <clears throat> that, and then of, that course, remind- then, of course, my children, because, you know, as I've said before, sometimes I test these three questions out on, on them at dinner time before we do our recordings. Um, and, of course, for my kids, you see, what was it? John said something like, <laughs> Nora said something like, I might do Let It Go from Frozen. Like, <laughs> all right. I, I can see that. I think, uh, oh, John's was, uh, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. That's, yep. that's what, that's one of the things where you need to get like, like the animatronic, like, so that all of a sudden from the casket you hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Pat, I'm going to make you narrow it down to one. Yeah, I figured I'm, yeah. I'm ready. And I remember I'm, your, I'm your soul is prepared. So I'm, I'm, I'm largely Irish. So the way right. we look at death, well, you said you've seen waking Ned divine. So, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. that's, well, I'll, I'll go let, I think guests should go first and, you know, so we'll put, unless this is the awkward question and we need to break the ice. I don't know. No, I, I think I would pick, um, loving cup from the rolling stones. Nice. Cool. Cause it's just a happy song. Like I want people to be happy at my funeral cause I'll probably be really old. Like, like 102. I just have this nice. weird feeling that I'm going to live to be really old. So I wanted to be a, a celebration. Right on. Cool. So mm-hmm. Dennis, you don't have much time to think about this one. What would you choose? Uh, easy. <laughs> Hang on, let's get it, guys. Let's get it's it written done. down. Hang on. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> All right. Um, my mine, the one that always comes to mind right away is Salisbury Hill, Peter Gabriel. Hmm. Very nice. The ending, you know, you can keep my things. They've come to take me home. Mm-hmm. There's a whole theme there of breaking away and and leaving and there's a change and a transition and all that. So I've kind of always liked that. There's a couple of James songs too, but um, the, the James song would be uh, moving on. There's a song called uh, moving on by the band James, which if you haven't seen the video is, is amazing. The little uh, stop motion. Anybody ever see that video? I feel like I have. Throw that I, in the chat link. You guys can yeah. check that one out. Yeah. Very good video. 
But uh, so that's it. Salisbury, I'm going to do two Salisbury Hill and Moving On by James and Peter Gabriel Salisbury Hill. So cue those up. <laughs> I'll get them downloaded right away. Yeah. There's not much time. I got a couple of bands I can get booked there, Dennis. Uh, let me know. I want the real version. I want the, yeah, I want, <laughs> it's, if it's not Peter Gabriel, man. Like, oh, it's Peter freaking Gabriel, man. Yeah. I want Peter Gabriel. I mean, geez, that's the least you can do. <laughs> I'm only going to do this once. All right. I mean, I'm just saying, okay. <laughs> well, what have you got? Okay. What, what are we playing at your funeral? Spirit in the sky, Norman Greenbaum. Nice. How perfect. <laughs> I love that song. So I'm going to be, so everybody else has picked like these upbeat, like pop songs and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm going to be the crotchety old traditional guy. And I'm going to say, I, I almost don't care what it is as long as it's played on bagpipe, bagpipes. Oh, there you go. Like, I really so don't cool. care what the song is. I mean, it can be Amazing Grace. It can be whatever. But as long as it's played on, I don't, I mean, I don't care if they play, I don't know, Billy Joel songs on bagpipe. Whatever it is, as long as it's bagpipes, I, I'm good to go with that. <laughs> that was the one thing at my dad's, um, you know, when my dad was in hospice and we were kind of getting everything arranged, I had looked up. I was like, you know what? And everybody was kind of dealing with everything in their own way. And a lot of other people were kind of taking on the, you know, my dad's sister was helping take on some of the like planning for the funeral and things like that. Cause we knew it was going to be coming up soon. And so there wasn't a whole lot, you know, they, there wasn't a whole lot that like myself and my sister and my brother could really do at that point. We were just kind of there at the hospice as, as you should be. But, um, I remember one of the things I was like, you know what? I don't know if anybody's thinking about this. Dad would really love bagpipes. Like he always, we loved Scotland. We loved everything about Scotland. We loved when we got to visit Scotland. And, you know, I'm like, he would really, really love that. He used to, I mean, he had albums and albums of bagpipe music. And I was like, okay, he would love to have bagpipes at his funeral. So I did, like I happened to look up, I'm like, the problem is his funeral's in Southwest Missouri. Where in Southwest Missouri are you gonna find a bagpiper? And, and thankfully I did. I found a guy and I was like, hey, this is probably going to be coming up pretty soon. You know, not a whole lot of time left. Most likely this funeral is going to be within the next like week and a half or so. Are you free? And the guy's like, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm free. You know, just let me know and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll book the date and I'll be there. And so like, that was the one thing. And, and you know, had a couple of, couple of family members comment. They're like, you know what? Your dad would have absolutely loved the fact that there was an actual live bagpiper at his funeral. I'm like, I, I know. Cause I would also like the same thing. So people take notes. <laughs> so yeah, cool. frankly, I don't really care what the song is as long as it's bagpipes. Very cool. You gotta talk to them, John. Don't let me take. I don't have to take notes. <laughs> I can be playing it. <laughs> like you said, I'm already beating you. So I was just including you so you wouldn't feel bad. No, it's a little too late for that. I'm just trying. I'm trying to. I'm trying to just protect your feelings, Dennis. I'll play it yours. You play it mine. Okay. No, no bike rides for me. All right. Question number three. What was your favorite ride whenever you went to a carnival? I'm a big old wuss. I love the bumper cars. Everything else makes my stomach somersaults even today. <laughs> Wait, my my daughter, who I love very dearly, said, whatever stand they're selling funnel cakes at. That's my kind of girl, right? That's there. awesome. She's like, that's the best ride. You just have to walk up and they hand you food. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you just walk up and they hand oh, you man. food. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah, some of those rides, like, uh, you know, if I'm not the guy that assembled it, I don't know that I necessarily want to be belting myself into it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. What's, Dennis, I'm, I'm guessing, like, I'm guessing you're like a carnival guy. Not like a carny. That's what I'm saying. But I'm, I'm guessing that you. Uh, I wasn't a teacher. Yes, that would have been it. I'm, I'm guessing you're like you like you guys. Did you, did you like dig the carnival thing? And yeah, growing up, we did. Um, yeah. The parents see? would take us, but then as I got older, and you see how they're taken up and sit. You know, they're not always there. So there's a lot of setup and takedown, which increases the chances of error. <laughs> Yeah. Um, as I, I didn't trust them so much with my kids as much, but, um, yeah, you see the tolerances, you see like the joints, like flexing, we're hurrying and, up and putting this together. Oh, there's like three bolt, or though. there's like three, yeah, there's like three or four, four <laughs> bolts missing from the frame. It's just like, yeah, they get the right. Ferris wheel working and there's like a big, so where does this go? I don't know. We'll <laughs> throw it back. <laughs> That's the bag of extra parts. So okay. like great American, yeah, but I, but for carnivals, if I strictly go carnival ride, I'm going to go and say, um, the, uh, the, it, it was called back then it was called the octopus. I think at great America, it's like the craw something that craw, not the crawdad cat. It was, it's like, it's the one where the, it goes in a circular motion and it goes up and down and goes a little bit higher each time. So it was like, it's like almost like an octopus arms, like all out and as it mm-hmm. spins around, it goes up and down, up and down. So I like those. Those are always my favorite. The one I hated the most was tilt a whirl. Not because I was afraid of it, it was because my brother was a wuss and never wanted to go on roller coasters. And if he's listening, this would be great. Never want to go on roller coasters, never want to go on anything. And my parents, because we were only one year apart, we were like joined at the hip apparently. So my dad was like, yeah, you can go on like three rides but you got to agree on which ride well guess what for my whole life i pretty much did was tilt the world for for a lot of that until i was able to you know get a little bit older and go on the ones myself but uh, until then it was always tilt the world because that's all you would go on because it was on the ground nice. you know if you didn't wasn't tilt the world it, nothing so when i got in the other ones it was like yes nice I'm a man <laughs> all right well i'm gonna uh, greta's gotta hop off here in just a second so i gotta greta what was your answer for uh, favorite carnival ride it was the tilt the world. Okay. I loved the tilt the world. <laughs> nice. I, w- I would go on it to this day. Like, that's cool. I, I love that ride. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. And again, I don't hate the ride. I just hate it because it was all I got to go on to. And that's I like, cool. and I like what about Bob? So. <laughs> So you're okay. <laughs> and the babysitter movies. Well, we've, we've, co- we've come, we've come full, full circle now. And I feel like we've learned a lot about each other tonight. And yeah. Well, Greta, before you run, I do just want to just thank you very much for being on here with us. It was great thank to you have so you much. on the show with us and talk about my great girl. And yeah. So it was, it was good to get to know you a little bit more beyond our work calls that we have pretty regularly. And, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to all of you. I, I had a great time. This was a blast. Thank you. you awesome. know, yeah. And uh, seriously, humbly, thank you so much for supporting the show. And it's funny, I was sitting here thinking, like, listening and probably talking way too much. And I apologize, but hearing everyone's perspective and all that. It's funny, like, you know, my wife gives me a hard time. She's just like, yeah, like, you know, some people like you guys can sit and talk for hours and hours and hours about a movie. And it's just, you know, and, and all this. And I'm, I'm thinking like, were we really talking about movies or were we talking about like deeper stuff? And that, that's just pretty cool. Kind of cycling back to what you said at the beginning about like pandemic life. I mean, this was a very insightful discussion, you know, like I'm going to be sitting here probably for the rest of the night, just kind of like, Oh yeah. Well, what about that? Like, you know, I mean, just so many things that, you know, I'm just going to come right out and say, if I had just watched my girl and put it down, like I wouldn't, 
get anywhere near there. So it was just very cool getting your perspective on things and, and just, you know, having a conversation about this. So thank you. Well, thank you. All right. Well, Greg, I know you got to go. So thank you so much for being here again. And I'm, I'm sure I'll be talking to you soon. Nice to meet all of you. Take care, guys. Finally good seeing somebody that knows what they're talking about. Right? Oh, man. You guys are hilarious. Oh, man. All right. Good play, Dennis. We got Dennis's ride. We got, did we get, uh, Bo, did we get your ride? I'm a wuss. Bumper cars. Oh, bumper cars. That's what you said. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Bumper cars. There we get Bo's. Pat, did you say yours? I didn't. I, uh, I, I, you know motorcycle yeah i'll say that you know what there we go that's my favorite ride is my favorite ride is being on the back of the motorcycle going over to the fair and then kind of walking around and like sometimes big groups of people i feel hemmed in and claustrophobic so then being on the motorcycle ride escaping from the fair or the the thing off into the road and suddenly your thing is one big ride the whole the, the 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 entire night is one big ride Life is one big ride. Okay, John, I know this is the three questions. Okay, I'll, I'll say bumper cars. Okay. Unless we're talking about life and then it's the motorcycle. Sure. <laughs> Which, yes, both simultaneously. There it is. Okay. Um, mine, which uh, I, I was trying to figure out the name of it. I couldn't remember what the name of the ride was. Mine is probably, and this is only as an adult. Like as a kid, this would have terrified me to no end. Um, I got to go with the Gravitron. Oh. Oh. The, one, the one that would spin around and then the floor would drop out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. As, that sounds absolutely terrible. It does. And there's a there's a fine line. There's a fine line where that ride is okay. And I think it was somewhere between twelve and nineteen. Because if I tried to go on a gravitron now, headache. No, you're right. Nausea and headache right now. Yeah. yeah. There's something about the spinning thing that when you're a kid, yeah. it works. I would say that I love that when I first went on, it was like first I was a teenager and I remember going on, it was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. And then I went on it. Like I, I want to see even in my t- late twenties, I think mm-hmm. I went on it. Maybe it was about yeah, twenties, thirties. And all of a sudden it was just like, dude, I got a headache and I'm nauseous. Yeah. And I don't get headaches and nauseous from rides. I love roller coasters. I'm fine. Yeah. But that thing I could pass. It's not scary. It doesn't scare me. It doesn't, right. It just doesn't make me feel good. I, you know what? It's funny you say that because like I'll ride the big roller coasters. I mean, I'll do all that kind of stuff, but it's the little ones, the little wears. Well, we all, and maybe it's, <clears throat> it's the pucolators, right? It's just yeah. like you get on them and it's just like, like even that big boat thing that goes oh, like, oh, pirate, pirate boats yeah yeah you know, the big, forget the big about pirate it pirate one the huge one forget where everybody's in it. there and you're literally like kind of upside down it's just that constant swaying back and forth mm-hmm. where it's like yeah. it doesn't scare me enough that this is worth the feelings i'm feeling right now right <laughs> yeah right and that's, yeah. that's that gravitron one i remember that where the floor mm-hmm. drops out. i was like oh this is so cool you're in the mm-hmm. dark i think kind of and it was like this is awesome and then later on it was just like i just have a headache i don't feel so it was like yeah, usually because the, like, the because usually they would like close off so be closed off in the in the ceiling and the floor yeah and then it, and then some of them they would like turn on their side too while it was like or they were like tilt at an angle and then it would spin and yeah no I've yeah. heard like I've heard 13, that 13 13 to 20 year old me would really still enjoy that 
I've heard that they've got this thing for like fighter pilots that if they show a little bit of nausea, I'm not sure if this is the truth or not. I've just, I've heard people talk about it. They show any nausea. There's this thing where they go and they put them in one of those things and they just spin them around until they kind of get used to the nausea and it all goes away. And it's just like, you know, get it out of your system. I don't know if that works. I don't know if life works that way, but yeah. 40, 40 year old me is with my daughter at the funnel cake stand. There it is. And happy about it. I'm very happy about it. We used to call the, uh, we'd go to this amusement park that was in Southwest Missouri called um, Silver Dollar City. It's kind of like a, it's a little bit like an old West kind of frontier town version of Six Flags. And the last thing we would do before we would leave is go get a funnel cake. So we always called them final cakes. And for years I thought they were called final cakes just because that was the last thing we would always do. Uh all right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode, the episode of My Girl. Um, so thank you again, Greta. I know she had to hop off there. Um, we, we talked a little bit much, so she had to hop. It was getting a little late. She had to hop off there. Us? But, um, us? Talk too much? You didn't warn her about how long these things go? What's that? <laughs> you didn't warn her about how long these things go? I, I did. Like, I told her. A day? Right. I told her it'd probably go like. On the next day? I what told did her, you tell? I told her it'd probably go a couple hours, and it went like two and a half hours. Okay, so, so we were in the ballpark. We were kind of in the ballpark, right? I mean, different. You also have to think our first half. We have like before we even get to the movie. Yeah, is a good 40, 45 minutes. Well, yeah. well and especially when we have a guest on and we ask other questions. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's gonna go a little yeah. bit longer, but even when there's not, right? Well, it's true. Yeah, it's an hour then. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you're looking for other episodes, you can head on over to 30podcast.com. That's our website. You can find all the past episodes, as well as you can rate the show, leave us a voicemail. You can uh, check out Patreon, jump on there. You can. Uh, so, Greta and other Patreon co executive producers have access to some exclusive shows that come out there once per month. Um, so, we have those special episodes that are available to anybody that supports us at any level on Patreon. Beyond that, the different levels that you can support, uh, some are, much like Greta, you can you know pick one of our movies that we're doing, you can come on the show. Uh, one of the other levels, you can pick a movie for us to talk about. Um, so we've got a whole bunch of different options on there, so you'll head on over to our website and check that out. Uh, what we got coming up next, we've got our March Patreon episode is going to be coming out um, probably maybe within a few days after this one coming out um it'll be our top three favorite songs of 1990 1991 so that will give me just enough time to finish editing that one because it was like a four-hour extravaganza but a good imagine imagine if you gave us the top five songs that's true that's why we did top three i'm ready for 92 when when are we doing that one uh next week okay okay (laughs) and and by next week i mean all four or five days of next week it will take that long. Uh, and then for the rest of March, we've got our next episode after that will be Thelma and Louise, Fried Green Tomatoes, and Soap Dish. And then in April, we've got Doc Hollywood, The Hard Way, L.A. Story, and Career Opportunities. Our April Patreon one, this is going to be great for you and me, Bo, because we just saw it, will be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hitting its Melting 40th anniversary faces. this year. Melting faces. I still love Nora's reaction to everything in that movie. She died. And then 15 minutes later, she's not dead. And it was great. I was like, it was good that we, it was good that the theater was rented out because there were a couple times I was like, Nora, if there were other people here, you'd have to be quiet. But she's I not know dead. Dad. Yeah. 
didn't didn't really phase her all that much. Um, no. And then May, we've got coming up Boys in the Hood, Bugsy, The Last Boy Scout, Point Break, and our May Patreon movie is the 1971 movie The French Connection. Mm-hmm. So that's what we got coming up in the next oh, two and a half months or so. So, well, as always, gentlemen, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thanks, Ned. Good night, Ned. <laughs> Good night, Ned. <laughs> All right. Uh, Good night, John boy. <laughs> yes, there you go. All right. Well, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time. <laughs>